You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Austin left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Goal for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Beat on. So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, now joining us, he's an absolute legend in our business. Not only does he have the great show on MLB Network, where we just talked about giving away the packet today on the show, the host of High Heat, but Mad Dog Sports Radio, no one bigger, and I know how much he loves the game and the postseason. The great Chris Russo joins us once again here on A's Cast Live. Chris, how have you been? How are you, pal? I am doing wonderful. How are you? Okay, good to be on today. What think, what's going on? Fill me in. Well, here we go. Here you got the Rays. They don't hit home runs, but they don't give up home runs. Then you got the A's. They hit a lot of home runs, and they've been dominant at home this year at 52 and 29. I cannot wait. How do you see Wednesday at 5 o'clock in the AL wildcard game? I mean, I do see Oakland winning the game. Um, I know Morton's pitching, so that's a little dangerous. But I, I do see the A's winning a ball game. They're due to win one of these games. They've been in these wildcard spots, obviously, last year, uh, four years ago with the Royals, where they blew a big lead uh, with the, whatever that lead was, 8-3 in the bottom of the eighth. I really think the A's will win the game. I think the A's will be very dangerous here in the second round. I mean, obviously, you'd have to favor Yankees and Astros to win the whole thing, uh, based on uh, to win the, both, both series and to play for the American Championship Series. But I do think the A's are dangerous. I would not be stunned if the A's, uh, you know, give Houston a five-game series. you got to favor Astros with their pitching. But I, I think Oakland's a very – they beat them six out of eight, of course, uh, late in the year. I think the A's are very dangerous in this series, so let's be careful. Let's get them through this first game first, and this will not be easy with Morton, but I think the A's are a dangerous team here. You mentioned last year, and for this young core of the A's, you know all about the pressures of New York and playing at Yankee Stadium. How big do you think it was for these young kids to get that experience last year and to now host the game this year? I can't hurt. Now, again, when you play at home in the postseason, there's a little more pressure on you. Uh, so, I mean, they, they're, they're, that game will get, that game is tight in the fifth, sixth inning. The Hayes get a little nervous because they're, they're going to be, they're heavily favored. They're a big favorite in this game. And everybody knows they're due to win a wild card game and they're due to win a little, have a little postseason success. The A's and the Nationals have this, have the pressure on them in these next two games. The Nationals will be a house money situation against the, um, against LA if they get that far. Nobody would expect them to win that series, so they can go in there loosey-goosey. And the A's will be the same thing against Houston. So if they advance, once the divisional series start, both will have an advantage. But they will have a lot of nerve. There will be some nerves in these first couple games because this is a game that the 
Nats have to win tomorrow night against Milwaukee. Scherzer, Brewers have been on the road forever. It's a game that Washington, who has lost a million games, of course, in the divisional series, lost a lot of games at home. they got to win that game. And the A's have to win this game Wednesday night. Uh, you know, no messing around. You can't tell me you've had a great year. See, this game on Wednesday night is going to be the dividing line between a so-so year and a good year. I know the A's, you can never say that they're in a good a bad year when they make the playoffs, and they have made it, but they need to get by this game. They haven't historically. They've always blown. They've blown a million leads. I mean, the Yankees 2-0, the Red Sox 2-0, lost the Twins. They have not been a good tournament team. I know a lot of people think it's because of their payroll and they don't have the big pitchers. That's part of it, but they also lost to Minnesota, and they were favored to win that series. So it's their time. Have to win this game Wednesday. I think they will. But there'd be some pressure on them. Yeah, I agree with you. I've been talking about that. You know, the last 20 years, they just haven't, you know, they haven't, you talk about that great chin in boxing and being able to take a punch and get back up. They just haven't been able to do it. And I'm wondering if this generation of A's will be able to be that team. The thing about the Rays is they're so tough and they're so deep in their bullpen. Talk about all the pitching they have back in their bullpen. Well, they got a million pitchers, but I'm telling you right now, um, I think Cash could make a move soon here. If I'm Cash, I'm going to make sure Morton pitches this game as long as he possibly can. Guy's got postseason experience. He's been a big pitcher, obviously, two years ago with the Astros. He pitched uh, good in game set five against, seven against the Yankees. He was good in the World Series. I was at the game at Yankee Stadium. It wasn't even bad that day in the, uh, in the ALCS. So this is, a, uh, you know, this is an experienced guy who knows his way around a big game, and he will pitch well. So, so the A's are going to have to match that pitching for a while. And, it, you know, chances are this is going to be a close, low-scoring game. But I think the A's at home, as you said, the experience, they're due, this franchise is due. Uh, they're due to win one of these games. Again, historically they haven't. They've won one series under Billy Bean. Is that what it is? I think it's one. It's one, yeah. Uh, when they beat the Twins, and then they got ambushed against uh, whoever, Detroit uh, in 06. They, they have not won a lot of these. They haven't won big games. So they, no excuses. I don't want to hear about payroll. I don't want to hear about crapshoots. I don't want to hear about, well, you know what? What a job we did. No, no, nobody cares. We, uh, Tampa is as low income as you are. Actually worse. This is a franchise Tampa that, you know, at least has gone to a World Series in this period here in the last 10, 12 years. A's haven't smelled it. Big game for them Wednesday night. I think they'll win. Morton does worry me, but a big game. You know, we start looking at winning your divisions now in the American League. You know, the A's who won 97 games still finished 10 games back because the Astros won 107. It's just crazy now. If you're going to win your division, you've got to win just not 100 games, Chris. You've got to win well over 100 games. Well, look at Minnesota. They won over 100. Yankees, obviously, won 105. Houston was as good as it gets. The A's, have, you know, they're a high 90s team. They have been. You know, they got a great manager. They're a high 90s team, the A's. Uh, you know, the issue here now is, you know, for them to make the next step, they have to, you know, you need better pitching. I mean, they don't have great starting pitching. I know the Homer Baileys and the Tanner Works have done well. But over a, in a big period, you know, they're not Verlander, Greinke, and and certainly not uh, Cole. They're not the Yankee bullpen. I mean, that's where the payroll hurts Oakland. That's where it hurts Tampa a little bit. They don't have the, you know, the resources plus the power is sometimes a problem too. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
I, you can still have a hell of a year. If the A's win this game, again, it's house money. The rest, nobody expects them to beat Houston. They can go in there and lay an egg. Nobody's going to say anything uh, because they did a heck of a job getting to a Final Four. Last year, they walked in the Yankee Stadium, and they were scared to death, and they had a rough game. Hendricks put them in a bad way. They never hit, and they fell apart. And the Yankee fans said, you know, geez, really? The Oakland A's? This is what we had to This time, there was no excuse. You've got to beat the Tampa Bay Rays on Wednesday night. Now, that's pressure on Oakland. Let me see them handle that. We all hear about their great defense. I don't want to see a big error in a big spot. Turn the double plays. Throw the ball over the plate. Let them hit it. Looking forward to it. Both games are good games. Looking forward to it. If you had your choice, would you rather go with Sean Mania, the left-hander, or Mike Fires, the right-hander, on Wednesday? Has he made that decision yet, by the way? No. I would go with the higher upside, and I would let Mania pitch. I think he's got a bigger upside than Fires. I would let him pitch the game. I know Fires had a hell of a year, had the no-hitter. I understand all that. Um, I got to think of that Tampa offense for a second. You know, they're pretty well... Kiermaier, you know, um, Fam. I would, I would pitch the lefty. Now, I know Manaya's only had, what, about five or six starts since he's been back, if that? Yeah, five. Five starts. Has he gone more than five innings of any of these games? Yes. He has. Okay. Um, I know he's pitched pretty well, right? Correct? Oh, yeah. He's been fabulous. Pitch him. I would pitch him. Now, I don't know what Bob will do. It's a good question. When is Bob? I guess he'll tell us tomorrow. Um, I would let Manaya pitch the game, uh, only because I think he's got a better upside. And I think you're going to have to match him for zeros here early in the game. Home teams, Joe Torre used to tell me this all the time. He used to sometimes like to start big series on the road, because on the road when you start the series, the home team is tight. And you know, I probably came from 96 when the Yankees started the playoffs at home, lost the game to Texas, lost the game to the Orioles, and then lost two to Atlanta. And he always thought it would be better to start on the road because there's more pressure on the home team. Uh, and I kind of look at that. You want the last hit bat, so you want to be at home. But if this game is 1-1 in the sixth inning, pressure turns to the A's. You know, pressure turns to the A's. I'm assuming we're going to have 40,000 in there on Wednesday night? Oh, yeah, it's going to be well over. It's, it's, if they sell it out, it's going to be around 50. So they're going to do a good job with the attendance. That crowd is a great crowd. They'll be into it. But the crowd gets nervous. If they, you know, nothing goes on for, you know, the crowd, playoff crowds are great when there's some momentum because they can over, I mean, you know, they can blow out, a, you know, A's get off to a good, look at last year. Yeah, you know, the A's get off to a good start. Tampa gets nervous, crowd gets into it. They start to intimidate a little bit. And it also goes the other way. So uh, this home field is always good the first five, six innings. I, they get a little nervous, the crowd, and that, and that kind of increases the tension level amongst the players. So, um, I'm looking for, I would pitch the lefty. I, I, you know, Morton's good. He's going to pitch a good game. He's going to give you good six innings. But Cash will run to that bullpen too quickly. A lot of these managers do that. He's got a game plan before the game starts. Okay, when you skip for five innings, then this guy, this guy, they can't manage that way in these big games. And, you know, you see a lot of these managers make terrible mistakes in these big games. Council last year in game two against L.A. took Miley out. Top of the sixth inning, he threw about 70 pitches. He allowed a one-out single, took him out of the game, up a game, brought Jefferson, next pitch was Turner, hits a two-run homer. So sometimes you can outmanage yourself. Melvin won't do that. I can see Cash doing that in his first playoff game. So 
Uh, that was a plus for the A's in his spot. But you're going to have to match Morton for the first five innings. I think Manaya's got a bad chance to do that. Well, we do the Bob Melvin show tomorrow, and I'm going to tell him Chris Mad Dog Russo wants to see Sean Manaya, so I'll let him know uh, how you see it. Um, by the way, we were talking about you in Indianapolis over the weekend. I also work for the Raiders. I do the radio broadcast. I'm the sideline guy for Brent Musburger. So we were talking about you, football, and Brent Musburger while we were in Indianapolis this past oh, weekend. Oh, I love Brent. Brent comes out every Friday with our picks. The one thing about Brent this week is that I followed his way with Atlanta because he loved him against uh, Tennessee because uh, home uh, of Ryan at home after losses is very good. And then I said, you know what, it sounds good to me, 24-10 Titans, and the game was never close. So 27-10, <laughs> whatever the score was. I think it was 24-10. The game was never close. So, uh, but Brent is great. I, I, he's into the rate. He's 78 years of age. God bless him. Working hard still, does a hell of a job. Big baseball fan, great sports fan. Brent knew Lombardi. That's all you need to know. Um, and the Raiders, did, did, did Brent, did the Raiders go to London already? Yeah, the Raiders just landed. They left today from Indianapolis? No, they left last night. I, I, I wasn't able to go with them because of this wild card game, so I had to fly back here for Wednesday, but uh, they left last night. Smart because last year when they went with just two days before the game was a, was a train wreck. Smart for them to leave and now acclimate for a week. I agree. So they left right from Indianapolis. What are the Bears doing in this game? Any idea? I have no idea when they land. Yeah, that's a good job by the the Raiders. Uh, I would have done the same thing. And I think the Raiders, you know, this was a nice win they had. Nobody expected that. That was a good win they had yesterday. But uh, right now it's baseball time. Big start for Scherzer. And a very, very big game for the A's on Wednesday. You know, the one thing that you got to keep in mind here, too, it's a little weird. The A's will play tomorrow on Wednesday night, 5 o'clock local. And that's a quick turnaround because game one, as you know, is Friday at 107 Houston time. Uh, that's that first game in the, uh, in the uh, DS. The Astros have the first game on Friday, and it's early. So the A's are going to have, you know, uh, that's, that's, that's a little tricky uh, when the Astros are sitting there. So you got to keep that in mind, too. But you'll be happy to play that game if you're so fortunate. I'll tell you that right now. Well, he's the host of High Heat on MLB Network and, of course, a legend in the sports radio business, Mad Dog Sports Radio on Sirius XM. Chris, it is always an honor to have you on the program. We really appreciate your time, continued success with everything, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on later in the postseason. And the A's hopefully are still in the postseason. That would be nice to see. They, 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 you know, they're due. So go with that theory. They're due. Let's see if they get the job done here the other, uh, on uh, Wednesday night. Thank you, Chris. You got it, buddy. Carlos, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletics. How you doing, my man? I am doing wonderful. You know, I was just thinking about your time with the A's, and and you're one of the guys that actually made it into the Moneyball book. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm all over that thing. (laughs) (laughs) And you had a character in the movie. Pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Uh, You know, I I thought it was a great movie, and uh, obviously – the, the, the story was told uh, very well. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was not exactly the way it happened, but I thought the, guy, the guys did a great job in communicating the, the main idea. So pretty cool, man. And, and Brad Pitt gets to play, uh, you know, Billy Bean, which Billy Bean should be very happy about, right? Yeah, if, if anybody's going to play you, why not him, right? <laughs> Seriously. It wouldn't go well with me. I don't think we have a resemblance, you know. <laughs> uh, but... 
So, you know, I Billy Bean would be like, yeah, he, he resembles me for sure. So I, I think about what you're doing now before we talk about, you know, the playoff, the, the wild card games. I really enjoy your work on television. When did you know that, you know, hey, this TV thing, it's really for me. You know, this is crazy. But uh, when I was a young, you know, college student, I used to my minor was actually film and TV production, stuff like that. So I always thought that TV and movie making and stuff like that, that, that was pretty cool because you could actually bring uh, to reality or almost reality, right? Whatever your mind conceives, you know? So for example, when you make a movie, you just pretty much write a script and, and, and bring it to reality. Uh, but little did I know that that was what I was going to end up doing, you know, being on TV, you know, we, we, we kind of create our own storylines out here whenever we're trying to tell a story or break something down and we get into the creative um, arena, which is so much fun. So I guess very early on, I had a knack for for that, uh, an interest for that. But uh, I am blessed to be here. I did not expect this to actually, you know, when I was about to retire, I didn't have it like lined up. Like what I'm going to do is I'm going to work on TV. Not at all. Um, I got the the knock, and and they said, hey, would you be interested? I was like, seriously, uh, yeah, I would. Um, so even though I had an interest in it. It kind of like it was a blessing, man. A blessing. It came, it came in, in on my lap, and it just landed on my lap as a surprise. And I capitalized on it right away. I thought it was like a, a great idea, so I jumped on it. So I'm very grateful to be here, man. You know, I, I, you're one of the few guys that played for both the A's and the Rays, and, and I talk about all the time. And you know, earlier this year down in Tampa, we were doing interviews. I'm like, hey, I'm not gonna be surprised if we meet in the wild card. It's it, it's cause like. We're like mirror images of each other, you know, with the issues on and off the field. Talk about what you saw, your time in Oakland, your time in Tampa, and just how similar are these organizations? Yes, right? That, that's very interesting. And, the, and the, the worst part is that because of the way things have been set up, one of them is going to be going home after the game. Uh, and that's unfortunate because I really have a very soft spot in my heart for teams like Tampa Bay, like the A's, who look to make the most out of the least, you know. Uh, there's something to be said about that. Um, okay, so we don't have a huge market. We don't have a great, a huge payroll. Uh, I know in Oakland we may argue that that could be a very large market ball club. But in Tampa Bay, for sure, it's a small market ball club. Um, it's, it's one of the lower uh, payrolls, right, Tampa Bay, the Oakland A's. But, hey, the way that you innovate, the way you are creative with your rosters, the way that you try to find uh, how to win, um, it's very similar, right? It's very similar. You got, you're trying to be as frugal as you possibly can, but it's almost like, you know what? We're going to prove it. We're going to prove to the world that we do not need the high payroll to compete. And as a matter of fact, that is basically what the Oakland A's and the Tampa Bay Rays take pride in, right? I'm going to beat the giant. You know, it's like that story – David and, Go- and, and Goliath story, where it's like, um, you know what, even though we're a smaller market team, we're going to go in and kick your butt. You know, I think it's awesome. I have a soft spot for teams like that. And Oakland A's and the Tampa Bay Rays, are they are both a force to be reckoned with. I am saddened that one of them is going to be going home after the wild card game. Yeah, it's so hard to believe you win 97 games or 96 games and you're, you're not even close to winning your division and you got to be in a wild card game. I would like to see it 
be two out of three. Like, it, it could have started today for the National League and the American League. You guys in your careers, you're used to flying all over the country without having days off. I mean, the A's just went 16 days in September without a day off. Would you rather see it be two out of three starting on Monday and, and, and potentially ending on Wednesday, and then you fly off to wherever you need to play on Friday? You know, I don't mind it. I don't mind that it is a one-game thing. It just adds this, like, sudden death type of urgency to the situation which, uh, you know, when, when you have a, a three-game series, it would kind of, like, slow it down a little bit. Like, okay, let's breathe, guys. We've got a little bit of room. Let's, you know, let's let this this uh, series develop. So I don't mind the sudden death uh, setup. What I don't like, you know, I know that they must be – they need to get penalized, let's say, for not winning the division. But when you have the amount of wins that the A's have, for example, um, or the Rays, for that matter, it's like, okay, I understand that there's a division, but that's not their fault. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, the, the way things are set up, that's not their fault. There are other teams in the postseason that potentially, um, you know, this happens every year, could have – they're in the postseason, that yet their records are, are less – they have less wins than the wildcard team. You know what I mean? And it's, it's unfortunate that the wildcard team is getting penalized uh, just simply because they were in a stronger division. That's the one thing I don't like. You know, so yeah, okay, wildcard team, but let's figure out a way that maybe wins matter. You know, if you have so many wins, there's some, there's a luxury there, there's some protection there. Um, you know, I would have to sit down and start drawing up some ideas, but um, I just hate that one of these teams is going to go home soon. I, I don't like that. I don't like that. It, one thing about talking to you guys at the network versus talking to people that are on the East Coast is. I know you guys watch West Coast games because when you're in that studio, you're still watching all those games and you stay up late. So I know you guys have watched the A's and you've watched what we've been doing. So I want to ask you, if you're going up against the Rays, would you rather have Sean Manaya or Mike Fires to start this game on Wednesday? Uh, I will go, you know, you know, Fires has done an, you know, a great job, you know, and for some reason I just, it, it seems to me like he's taken on a very, uh, prominent leadership uh, role uh, in, in in that clubhouse, but Minaya seems like a like a like a more um, uphill battle, a more uh, challenging opponent than than Fires. You know, it's kind of like you know we're going to talk about violence of action. I would probably throw Minaya at you uh, just simply because of bro. Even even just the the delivery by itself. Forget about the health issues and all that stuff. As long as he's healthy, of course. But if he comes through and he steps in the mound, you know, if you have one game to win, uh, it'd be a lot more difficult to go up against a guy like Manaya than, than, than Fires. I think Fires more conventional, the delivery, you know, straight over the top. You know, I think that he could be, uh, it's easier to strategize against Fires. Uh, Manaya is a different story. Yeah, talk about that as a left handed hitter. You got this big guy who's got a three quarters arm slot. He's tough to see. He's funky. He's only throwing 90, but that 90 from Manaya much, much, has to look a, a, a lot faster. Talk about what you would see if you were a left-handed hitter and coming from the way he throws the baseball. Oh, my goodness. It looks, you know, I'm glad you asked that question because, you know, sometimes people are home and be watching the game, and you may know a little bit about baseball, but in reality there's no way you could really understand what it feels like to go up against that type of angle if you're a left-handed hitter. I mean, the, 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 the angle is wrong because it looks like it's coming from where the second baseman plays traditionally. Obviously, I know we have a lot of shifts. You know what I mean. Just like 
to, to the right center field area. You know, it's like this ball is coming out of that background um, and coming in at an angle, and it's moving. So it's not like you can assume that the ball is going to be coming across from you. Well, if it's a two-seamer, it goes across, but then it breaks in towards you. So it's it's kind of intuitive. Like your eyes are very full. The angle is not what it seems. Um, and that's very difficult because your eyes are going to tell you something that is not true. This is to begin with. This is just to begin with. There's no, I'm not talking about changing speech. Forget about, this is just the angle. The angle is going to look like something it is not. So now how do you fool your eye? How do you, how do you tell your brain, hey, brain, I know that my eyes tell you that this ball is coming across and away, but it's not really happening that way. So a lot of, a lot of left-handed hitters are going to try to take Minaya the other way, and Minaya is going to have a feast just jamming uh, left-handed hitters all day long because in, in the left-handed hitter's mind, they need to go the other way, when in reality, you're probably better off trying to pull them. You know, and I know this may sound crazy, but you may have a better, more success if you try to pull Minaya as a left-handed hitter. Think about that for a second. Yeah. Well, how do you fool your brain? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How it's do you do that? Bro. It's a nightmare. <laughs> you, you got, you got to, you got to do, do not. Okay, you got to tell yourself, don't trust your eyes. Just go with what you know, but don't trust your eyes. You kidding me? Seriously. It's like you're fighting yourself in the box. Yes. So very. It, it takes. You got to take it to a next level. This is. This is guys. This is just be, before he even throws. Anything else, like forget about breaking off a slider or trying to like pitch up and in and moving it away and actually do tr- cutting it across. This is before all of that happens. This is just an angle that he can use to his advantage. So, um, you, you get me, you get me talking about hitting. I'll be here all night talking to you hitting man, and how, how to approach these guys. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. That's why we love having you on. Uh, you played for Joe. <laughs> Joe Madden is no longer the manager of the Chicago Cubs. You played for him. You know what a great skipper he is. A lot of people believe now that Brad Osmus is out in Anaheim, that he'll be the next Angels manager as he still has a home in Orange County. Talk about playing for Joe Madden and what kind of fit he'd be for the Angels. You know, I immediately saw, and I know I've heard the rumors, but when this was taking shape on my own, you know, thought, wow, maybe, maybe Joe, that would be something Joe would like to, to do. Because remember, every single time we went over there to Anaheim to play uh, the Angels, um, Joe used to just ride his bike to the park. You know, I'm like, Joe, what's up? So yeah, yeah, I used to live down the street. I just ride my bike. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, wow, that would be great for, for Joe to just go home. Um, but I think that even though that makes perfect sense, especially because of his history there and how long he was on the, um, served as, uh, as, as an assistant to Mike Shosha, um, I still think that he may look for a better situation. Um, that's not to say that if there is a meeting, you know, and, and, and the Angels and Artie Moreno is a very motivated owner, uh, says, Hey man, we, we're going to try to win here and we're going to try to win soon. Now, can you help us shape this up? He might take on that project, especially when you have the best player in baseball um, as, as part of your ball club. 
Before we let you go, Amelia Schimmel, who works for us, used to work with you guys there at MLB Network. She she told us you have like a great home run call. I've never heard your home run call. What is it? You gotta be kidding me. Yeah, are you serious? You know, let me tell you something. Alton today, if he goes up there and he sits fastball up against two seamer, up in the zone, up and in, right? Against Morton. Right? Well, that's actually tomorrow for the game, right? And he sits there and gets ready for the fastest pitch in the uppermost and the most part of the plate. He's going to go placada on Morton if he does that. Now, he has to sit up there. If he doesn't, it's going to be a long night for the ace lineup. This guy is good. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I had heard it before. It's hilarious. Hey, you had a great career, and you're now having a second great career on television. And we love, you know, that's all we watch is MLB Network. It's the best channel on television for us baseball junkies. Thank you so much for your time. Hopefully we can hook up later in the postseason and and enjoy this Wednesday game between the A's and the Rays, two organizations you played for. Uh, It's going to be a blast. Guys, always a pleasure uh, to just come on. So thank you so much for having me. Take care, Carlos. All right, my man. Take care. Coco, Chris Townsend, how are you? Hey, Townsend, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, and I can't wait for this Wednesday game. You know, one game. I mean, here you got one team, 197, another team, 196. One game, winner moves on, and hard to believe, loser goes home. Yeah, you know, I've been involved in some wild cards myself, and unfortunately, one that I was in, we didn't pull it off. So, you know, you definitely got to put all your effort, energy, get a good night rest. You got to be ready for this game, and it's going to be exciting. What is it like just playing one game versus normally you play in a series? Well, it's win or go home. That's one thing. But I think, too, it's a little more intense. You know, everything's on the line. You know it. So in a long series, for a position player, when you have multiple at-bats, you might have a bad game. Um so you know you have another game to make up for. With this game, you go out there, you have a, a bad a series at the plate, a bad game at the plate. You have to have in the right mindset that you can't let that affect you. You got to go out there on the defensive side and look to make a play. So you got to play the full game, and you got to be in the right mindset to be able to let things go a lot quicker as an individual, so you can help out your team in a different fashion of what not might not be working that day for you. So you're having a bad day offensively you go out there and try to make some plays defensively you got to come together as a team with that right mindset to go out there and win a ball game how important is it to strike first like if it's a fight you got to come out and and land the first punches early you know it's that home field advantage you know if you're if you have the home field advantage i don't think it's as necessary if you're if you're away you definitely want to strike first you want to quiet that crowd you want to try to take them out as quickly as possible. Because when you're in a playoff game, it's that whole atmosphere. You're not just playing against you know, the, the guys that are uh, between those lines. You're playing against the whole fan base of that city. You know, And it gets live, and once they start rallying, and, and that builds the energy for that home team. So if you're the away team, it's very important. More important uh, than being the home team to go ahead and strike first. Try to silence that, silence that crowd, get ahead so you can kind of – even out the advantage a little bit of that home field advantage. You know the pressure of playing in New York at Yankee Stadium. 
you know, a lot of people feel that it was a little much for the A's last year. How much do you think that will help their experience last year losing at Yankee Stadium and now hosting the game here in Oakland? Right. You can't teach experience, right? So you them being involved in, in playoff games, some of the young guys, they might not have been involved in it before. You learn a lot from that about yourself, um, most importantly. You know, how to approach it differently if it didn't work for you or how whatever worked for you, how to kind of keep it the same, all that worked for me. Um, I think the main thing that guys learn that seems so simple is that you have to breathe. And a lot of times, guys, the moment gets to them, um, and they just forget to breathe. And then when you forget to do that, take that time, relax, to relax yourself, then it starts compiling. You lose your train of thought. You know, you, you, a lot of things start kind of trickle affecting on you. So I think that experience allows you to kind of get an understanding of that. Uh, you know, let's relax. Let me just breathe. I played this game. I know what to do. See ball, hit ball, see ball, catch ball, throw ball, and all those things that most Major League Baseballs do with great success. Now you breathe, and it just comes back to the basics, and, and you're just playing baseball. That actually is pretty fascinating, Coco, that you said that. Like, if you could go into mm-hmm. the locker room and Bob Melvin brought you in and said, Coco, talk to these guys, even though that seems so simple, but yet when the pressure is at its highest – and especially in athletics, things start happening so fast that a lot of times you don't tell yourself or you don't remind yourself to slow things down and to just simply breathe and relax. Yeah, just take a, take a deep breath, take a moment to collect yourself. And I think uh, within the playoffs, things get so hyped. You know, you get hyped. You, get, you, you know, you get hyped. You got to dial it back down. You got to come back into your center and to be able to relax, and, and get back into your game plan, your thought process, your thought process. And I think uh, with the young guys, with the young guys that haven't experienced it, it kind of it kind of gets the best of you at times. But yeah, going into that clubhouse, they're looking at me crazy. I'm talking about breathing. Hey, man, we wake up breathing. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you got you got to take a a collect a collective breathing. One that is going to collect yourself, a nice deep breath, get your thought process, get your mind right, and then go in there with your game plan. You know, I think about the Coliseum when it's packed and it's crazy and it's loud. It's like no other ballpark because all these new ballparks are great, but they're not built for sound. They're built to look pretty. The A's, because of what they did with Mount Davis, it's like the the, the, the sound doesn't leave. It's like trapped in the Coliseum. You've played in some of the loudest games that have ever been played there, 2013, 2012, Game 5. Talk about how loud it is for the players and what you guys hear on the field. You know, for me, uh, playing in, in the Oakland Coliseum, it's uh, it was special. You know, it was a fan. It was a great atmosphere for me because during that time, and it's starting to gain that momentum again. During that time, we're all one huge family. So it was like it was from the, the front office all the way to the fan base. And with that, everybody got into it. They had love for the team. We had love for them. And, you know, it was like we're rooting for the fans to be loud, and they're rooting for us to be successful. And when you have that atmosphere of that uh, the collective, the city, everybody involved that want to win, it gets really hype in there. And we felt that electricity from that fans, and that actually that energizes. 
You know, and they they do a great job. The fan base does a great job of getting behind their players. I know a couple of guys had uh, kind of a down years this year that we thought were going to blow up. But the great thing about the Oakland fans is, you know, they don't they don't get on you too much. They keep rooting you on. And now through this process, they're able to make another playoff run uh, starting uh, coming up. And you know that they're going to be hyped. They're going to be behind the players because they've always been. And that's one of the fun parts of, of playing in Oakland. Yeah, you talked about a family atmosphere. We're going to have Billy Bean on tomorrow at 1.30 here on A's Cast Live. And you were always one of his favorite players. You know, there's something different around here. You do know people. You do know the GM. You know the assistant GMs. You do know everybody to where I don't know if that's the case in, in other organizations. No, I, I, everybody is, is, is face forward. I mean, they, they're coming to the clubhouse, and they'll talk to you, and – and you see them, you know, it's not, it's not the case in, in a lot of places where you go to, to do your job and, and they're doing their job and you don't get a chance to see the brass, you know, but here, you know, you get to see the front office people, you get to talk with them. They, they communicate to you um, to a certain extent, but it's, it's better than nothing. And, and that definitely bridges that gap and you're able to, uh, you feel more comfortable with yourself, your career, and everything like that. It makes it a better place to play. Also, from the other side of, I remember when you know we talked about when Reddick was here, and and you got the right field bleachers, left field bleachers, everybody around there. You know, we would actually go out with some of the fans and and have dinner. So it's kind of a, a crazy thing that doesn't really happen that often, where you got you know players going with fans, front office coming down talking to players, and it's kind of a unique atmosphere in Oakland. You know, when I think about the year Marcus Simeon has had as a shortstop and a leadoff hitter, he led uh, baseball 162 games, plate appearances 747. He hit 285, 33 home runs, 92 RBIs. He scored 123 runs, had an 892 OPS. I mean, to lead off and play shortstop at a high level, hit for power and score a ton of runs, you know how tough it is to lead off in this game. Talk about what you've seen this year with Marcus Simeon. You know, he's, he's grown throughout the years, offensively and defensively, and it's just a credit to his hard work, his love for the game. And he, he, he turned himself not only into one of the best players in the game, but pretty much, in my mind, the best leadoff hitter in the game. Um one of the best shortstops in the game overall, just in general. And in order to do that, you have to put in the work. And he's one of the hardest working guys. I mean, he hustles. You talk about 162 games. Dude, it's hard for me to play 140. <laughs> so he's an Iron Man. He goes out there, gives it us all day in, day out. And when you play at, and when you try to play at your best, that's when, regardless of however you do, good or bad, and he had a great season. You can live with it, and Marcus has done a great job of transforming himself with that hard work and that love for the game, that leadership mentality, and that hustle to one of the best overall players in the game. I think the biggest shocker for me this year, Coco, is the fact that Mark Canna has stepped in in all these different positions, but the one position that shocks me is that he has turned himself into an everyday center fielder. You know how tough it is to play the position, are, are you amazed that Mark Canna, a guy once thought as a DH, possibly first baseman, is now playing center field on a full-time basis? I'm not shocked. Um, the, the thing about it is, for myself, I was, I was looked at as no more than a, the, the best, a fourth outfielder. 
so when you have those type of labels, you got something in yourself that's telling you you got to prove yourself day in, day out. And when you have that, you work hard to show people, hey, you're making a mistake. And you can tell that Canna has that mentality. He's going out there trying to prove, like, hey, man, don't forget about me. You know, I got pops. I can run a little bit for a nice-sized man. I, and one of the things that he, he really turned himself – made him turn himself into a good outfielder is he worked on those jumps, those reads. When I was watching him up in the booth, uh, the balls hit. He would take that, that read step. He never had any bad breaks on balls. He got really great reads on, on balls. And that, just like talking about Simeon, that comes from hard work. And from him, that perspective of, hey, don't forget about me. You got to go out there. Uh, for myself, you got to go out there and prove yourself. That keeps you on your toes as a player. It keeps you always wanting to get better because you know – that or you feel like even if you are successful, you feel like you always still have something to prove. So I'm looking for him just because he's in that mentality to just keep getting better, just to keep getting better. But he did a phenomenal job. And when you have guys that can play multiple positions as well as he has, he's a serious asset to your to your ball club. Yeah, and you gotta have you you gotta have players that can play multiple positions now because of how big your bullpens, and I think about you coming up as an infielder, and I think a guy like Chad Pender, who's really a middle infielder, who now, according to StatCast, gets great jumps as an outfielder, but you've got to be, the name of the game, wouldn't you say now for a lot of these guys, if you want to play and you want to play for a long time and you're not a star player, is you got to be very versatile. Definitely. you got to get in where you fit in, basically. You know, you get you get an opportunity to play in the big leagues. You never know where that's actually going to come. For me, I thought I was going to be a big league infielder. That happened. That turned very quickly for me, and then I had to go to the outfield. And outfield is not as easy as people perceive it to be. You know, it's pretty difficult, especially at that higher level, making that transition at that level when the game's really fast. And to get that label where he's a really good outfielder after being an infielder for so long, it's just a testament. And I see these guys uh, out here. I'll finish that sentence in a second. But I see these guys out here working hard. You know, they're, they're early work, in the cage. And you don't see a lot of teams. You see players on teams, but not the collective group as a team. And with the A's, what makes them so great is I see everybody working hard. So going back to Pender is that he's putting that time, that work as well, not only to be a, a, a major league infielder, but also to be a quality major league outfielder. And that flexibility, like I talked with Cannon, is, is golden to have. And they have multiple guys that can do that for them. I'm glad you bring that up, Coco, because that is a tremendous point of really one of the reasons why this team is so good and why their defense is so good is that they work hard every single day. Every day. You see Simeon out there taking ground balls, working on something that he feels like he can get a little bit sharper. You know, you can always get better in every aspect of the game, but you see he's taking backhand throws to, uh, for double plays and working his footwork a little different just in case he might get in an awkward situation. You know, just not taking things for granted like his athleticism uh, will take over because he's a big league player. No, he's getting better. He's trying to be the best. And he, he dang near is the best, you know, out there. And that's, you know, I, I say that with a slight question mark, but to be honest, I kind of believe that he turned himself into the best shortstop out there. Um, but it's, it's that hard work from the guy who's trying to win a starting job and the guy who's trying to keep his starting job and that competitive spirit within that clubhouse and that family mentality of not letting that competitive spirit kind of break them apart. They, they, they became a really good team because of all that hard work. And it starts from, it starts from the top 
down into Bob Melvin, and Bob Melvin does a great job of communicating. The guys believe in him, buying into him. They work really well as a group with all that hard work and competitiveness. Great stuff, Coco. Enjoy this one on Wednesday, and hopefully the A's get the victory, and we'll talk to you about the series in Houston. I'm looking forward to all of it. Thanks, Townie. The great Billy Bean is with us. How are you? Good, Townie. It's, uh, you know, I always make appearances when we've made the postseason, so I can take all the credit. From <laughs> well, that's the one thing is we always have you, like, before the season. Now it's always great to have you in the postseason and just – how much fun have you had the last two years with this group winning 97 games back-to-back years? It's been two of the probably most enjoyable years I've had. I, uh, when I think of the 2001 season was a lot of fun because the team was just so darn good, and the second half was unbelievable. 2012 was probably at the top of the list because there was so little expected. I think the preseason uh, predictors had us losing 110 games that year when we won in 12, and then we literally nobody paid attention to us till all of a sudden – you know, we won the division last day. But these last two years collectively uh, are right up there with that 2012. It's been a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, it's fun to watch this team. At first you kind of go, hey, these guys are pretty good. And then after, you know, over a two-year period, you go, these guys are real good. And they've, you know, done it. It's not a fluke. When you win 97 games two years in a row, it, it means you're good. Yeah, and you've always said, if you think this team has a chance – you're going to go out and add to this team and try and help this team win in the postseason. Absolutely, and I think we've done that every year. I mean, this year we didn't have a lot to choose from in terms from a trademark. It was a little different, uh, but I thought we were very selective, and I thought that uh, we did a good job in bringing in the right guys, and Tanner Roark and Diekman and Homer was fantastic for us, and I'm not sure we'd be here had we not made those moves, you know, adding. And, and the team expects you to do that. You know, I learned that from Sandy Alderson when – you almost, when a team's played its heart out and they're in it at the trade deadline, it gives them a real jolt when the front office goes out there and, and puts their best foot forward. And, and even when they give it young players, they like to see that, hey, you're investing in, in this club right now. And and, uh, and for us, it's the last couple of years, I think it's been one of the reasons we've gotten here. You know, one of the great things about working around this team is that you don't believe in tanking. You're always going to try and win and, I, you know, baseball's changed a lot since you started. And I think, you know, God, I mean, you win 97 games, it only gets you into a wild card game. It's like next year we're going to have at spring training, it's going to be like, hey, you want to win the division? You got to win like 105 games. Just talk about how the game has just changed since since you first started. Yeah, well, you know, you, you mentioned the, the, or the term they use is tanking. The, uh, yeah. <laughs> Every year that I've been here, me and David have been together, we've always tried to win. Now, unfortunately, I wish we could sort of blame some years on tanking, but uh, those years we didn't win, we were actually trying then, too. It just didn't work out. Uh, I think you have a responsibility. I think every year is an opportunity. And had we taken sort of the attitude or let people convince us that, uh, hey, we're not ready yet or this team needs to rebuild, 2012 would have never happened. And actually going back, and, and that was a great lesson for, for all of us here, if you recall the beginning of that winter in 2011, we traded Bailey, we traded Cahill, and we traded Geo. That was in the fall. And the expectation was is that we were, quote, unquote, rebuilding. Well, what happened was it freed up some payroll, and we had some great opportunities right after the new year. Coco Chris came in, Suspettis came in, Cologne came in, Seth Smith came in. Those were all moves after those moves uh, in the fall. And the trading those guys gave us the opportunity to pick up some guys. And, and again, we ended up winning the division, and we won it the following year, and we went to the playoffs in 14. So I think when you're in professional sports, 
you have an obligation. Honestly, there's, I, you know, one of the things that, and Bob, I know Bob's probably mentioned this to you, Chris, um, when you have a big crowd here in Oakland and you really feel that's the games that I know Bob and myself feel the pressure to win because people, you know, they plan around a big fireworks night or they come on a Sunday afternoon for a, you know, a holiday or summer, Father's Day or Easter. And when they show people in the stands and you see families, you realize, you know, maybe they get to three or four games a year, but this is one game they planned on and you want to make sure they have a good time. And the idea that they would buy their tickets for a game in August, maybe they bought it back in April, and at that day, that game means nothing because your team's not very good. That's always something I've sort of taken personally. And, um, and so for, for us, myself and Dave and everybody here, listen, we may not win every year, but I promise you with what we have, we're going to do everything we can to win every game. You know, I, it's 2012, I always talk about go look at the box score from the Japan games and then go look at the box score of the very last game against the Rangers, how you remade the roster. It's always been interesting and fascinating to me how you can completely remake the roster or add to the, a roster during a season. You know, it's, uh, you know, I've had this conversation. Me and Peter Gammons have been friends for years, and we talk quite a bit about this. And he asked me the last this year as well, you know, the first month, two months of the season, maybe the first uh, 35 games, you, you, you kind of try and figure out where you are. You know, you, May, historically for us, is always seems to be when we've had tough years, that's when we seem to get injured, and it's impacted the rest of the year. But if we stay healthy and we kind of stay around 500 and kind of tread water a little bit, then you can see where you need to make adjustments with the team, and that's kind of what we've done. And, we, and the other thing is, you know, things that happen in May, you kind of can't panic. You can't get, uh, you can't enjoy yourself too much if you're playing well, and you can't, uh, I think, panic if you're playing poorly because there's a lot of games left. And, uh, and if you look at our, our seasons historically, we've kind of just kind of hung in there the first half of the season, and then we take off in the second uh, part of the season. And, and again, if you look at uh, a lot of teams, when you get to the trade deadline, five, six, seven teams at that point are going to fold cards. And those are opportunities for you in the second half to actually win those games if you just say, hey, we're still in this thing. And, uh, you know, again, a lot of this is my experience going back. I mean, this goes back to 99. I think we were 43 and 44 at one point during that season and ended up winning 87 games. We traded Kenny Rogers, then made some other deals after we freed up payroll. Won 87 games, and I sort of realized teams that you play in the second half may be far different than they were in the first half. And there may be more victories by virtue of the fact that, A, you're trying to win games then, and other teams are maybe developing young players. And, and those are opportunities that we, uh, you know, try to search out for and we uh, – we kind of anticipate at some point. Yeah, don't worry. We panic for you on the postgame show. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, we see, that's the other thing. When I watch you guys, I only watch when we win. So I, <laughs> it's actually true. Like, I'll, like, you know, I'll, I'll try and get home to, I'm not a late night guy, you know, so if the game starts going on, I'll start heading home. And if we win, I'll turn on, I'll watch everything. I'll listen to everything that's going on. But when we lose, boom, turn it off, and I'm watching Dateline or something. So, uh, uh, I hear you. Yeah. I wish I could do that. Keeps me sane. <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing. It's like, you know, you're not going to win every single year, but but the success that you have had and knowing you for a long time. You know, I remember when we first went back when I was on KMBR and we used to bring you on when you yeah. first got the gig. What do you think really has changed about you over the years? Wow. Uh, you know, I think – I think I've developed more patience. I, when I was young, and we were all young here, you know, you, you know, even David was right out of college, basically. Uh, and, you know, Paul was here. J.P. Ricciardi was still here with me. Uh, I, we were very young. Uh, we were very intense. Uh, you know, in some sense, I think we needed that at that point. You know, we were changing a lot as an organization. At one point, we were a high payroll team. 
and then we sort of transitioned, so we sort of had to find a different way of doing things. And uh, But I'd say I've become more patient. Uh, I, I understand the length of the season. Um, I realize I've had days, you know, I've been doing this 22 years now. When you're young and you've won 10 in a row, you drive to the park thinking you're never going to lose a game. Again, you, you've got this surrounded with this sort of arrogance of your, you know, your team's great and you're always going to be great. And it just doesn't last. And I, the way I've sort of... Uh, sort of trick myself psychologically is when we're driving in and, and we're playing well, I'm starting to think about, all right, what can go wrong? How do I prepare for something to go wrong? And then when things are going bad, I know they're going to turn too. So I try not to sort of uh, uh, get hung up in the moment as to, hey, we're playing good, so we're, we're great. I'm looking for ways that, hey, what can go wrong? And then when things are going wrong, I'm looking for things that can go right. So that kind of balance has helped me a lot. And, it, and it's crazy the way the game has changed with technology now because Ooh, back in the day, it was like, we look at OPS. And it's like, OPS now, I mean, with StatCast and TrackMan, and they're bringing in Hawkeye that tennis uses, and these high-tech cameras and Rapsodo and all this kind of stuff. It's like, those old analytics, it was great back then, but now we got all this radar and science. It's crazy how the game's changed. Yeah, you know, I remember when I uh, when, when you and Larry would interview me on camera on a Sunday, right? We'd yeah. do a Sunday show. I always, do, you know, we'd do those interviews those days. And back then, you know, I was Sandy's assistant, and I literally would print out the statistics, right, uh, from the it was how, I think, stat service that we got through baseball. And we'd print these out, and I'd get a highlighter. I'd just highlight the on-base percentage, right? Yeah. You know, now with the stuff and, the A, the people, the brain power we got working, all the access to data, uh, it's, it's absolutely incredible. Uh, and it's great because the game has become so intelligent. And to me, I think it's one of the smartest industries in the world. And, and before you say you're crazy, think about this. Um, I'm looking for the same skill sets that Wall Street, that Silicon Valley's looking for, that Facebook, Google. I need those same skill sets. Uh, the advantage I have is that they'll come work for me for about 25 cents on the dollar because they want to work for a sports team. And baseball now has access to all this intellectual capital out there that we weren't taking advantage of for years. You know, when guy and I look at back, you know, with Sandy Alderson was the first. You know, the idea that a, you know, Dartmouth graduate. Harvard Law graduate will be running a baseball team. That was unusual back then. Now it's the norm. And it's not so much about where you graduate, just that there's really bright people from all over the world coming and working for us now. I mean, look across the bay of Farhan. You know, I hired Farhan when he was a PhD candidate at Cal Berkeley. And now he's running one of the premier sports teams on the, on the planet. And I can tell you, he's every bit as smart as you, that PhD says he is. He's a brilliant guy. And the game itself has become a very, very smart industry, and and we're trying to do the same thing everybody else are. We have a lot of data. We're trying to ma manage large amounts of data and organize it, and uh, and that's good because it's, the game's become a lot more dynamic, I think, off the field and become, I think, interesting on it, too. Yeah, I got a couple of buddies who are recruiters, one's for Amazon, another's for Salesforce, another's for Google. Yeah, they're not hiring people 25 cents on the dollar in those companies. <laughs> no, we, no and, 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 and again, we this is what's great about sports is you know, and to me, I think, you know, I think one of the impacts of the book is that it's turned the business into a meritocracy. You know, bright young men and women who didn't play in the major leagues now have the opportunity to work in the game. And I think that's great. And uh, it's become, again, much more dynamic. You look at our front office here, you know, beyond David and myself, and it's an incredibly bright group of young men and young women. And uh, you're going to see more and more of that. It's, again, it's more diverse, more dynamic, and it's much more intelligent. That book changed so much and then the movie 
and changed your life, really, because now, and it's been happening for years, that people all around the world want to figure out how you do it. What has that been like for you that you've traveled the country, traveled the world, and people want to pick your brain? It's humbling. Yeah, it turned me into a little bit of a recluse. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, uh, but uh, it's been very humbling, some of the, you know, the opportunities I've had, the people. Uh, it's, uh, again, Michael Lewis is an amazing writer. He's one of the most you know, probably influential writers in the world. So I guess that myself and everybody in the book benefited from that. But I, I'd like to think that uh, if I had any skill, that uh, I hired a lot of really bright people that made me look really good. And I sort of half kid when I say that. But when you, again, look across the bay at Farhan, you got David here. And you got Paul DePodesta, who's working for the Cleveland Browns. I'm sort of proud of the fact that uh, they started their you know, sports careers here, here in Oakland. And, uh, and again, I hope to continue doing that because I still love what I'm doing. And hopefully get to meet a lot more people uh, in the coming years. Hiring good people is a skill. Well, you know, I've, I've always, listen, I think, you know, first, to be a good leader, this is my opinion, you have to be a little bit humble and have some humility. And I think you kind of have to check your ego at the door. I've always tried to hire guys who I thought ultimately could do my job and do it better. And I think I've succeeded. Uh, in doing that, I and I, we've got a pretty flat structure. I mean, you've seen us around here, Chris. I mean, you know, from our analysts, Ben and Pike, and guys who just started here a couple of years ago to David, we all sort of, it's, uh, we all sort of operate on the same level. Every each guy can do. Well, I can't do the analyst. They can do stuff that I can't do. But we, <laughs> <laughs> but we, we all can kind of do each other's job. And I'm not afraid to let, you know, Dave's not afraid to delegate to let guys and allow them to grow, which is why I think a lot of people get taken from our organization because they have a lot of skills that are developed while they're here. So one game, it's just one game, and it's crazy. 97 wins, they got 96. And I know you got a lot of respect yeah. for those guys because they deal with a lot of the same problems you got to deal with. Yeah, I was kidding, and I'm only half kidding on this, too, is that, uh, you know, Tampa in a, one game, you're going to have two teams trying to bully each other analytically. I mean, you're going to – I mean, they're really smart over there. I have a, we have a tremendous amount of respect uh, for the entire organization. In fact, Bob will tell you this. I was wrong, but I, I thought Tampa was going to win the division this year. I told Bob that. I said, I think Tampa was going to win the East. Now, as it turned out, the Yankees, deservedly so, you know, won it comfortably. But uh, I think – Tampa, 97, or 96 wins, and their payroll's lower than ours. But you could see them setting it up last year. That deal they made with Archer was just absolutely incredible. And uh, they're going to be good for a long time, too. Uh, bright, bright people over there. And it'll make for an interesting game, that's for sure. Peter Gammon told the story here on A's Cast Live about years ago, you being back east, and you got out-ordered, and it bothered you. That's how competitive you are. And we're like, really? That really happened. <laughs> The true story, I was in Cape Cod with Peter, and, uh, of course, he was a local, so he ordered the lobster roll. I went with something basic, and my daughter Casey was with me. She was probably 10 or 11. And, uh, yeah, I looked at it with envy. I looked at that lobster roll that he pulled up, given the fact that he lived there his whole <laughs> life. So I got on him for not tipping me off on the right order. Uh, and it was interesting about that day because it was a gorgeous day in Cape Cod. There was no humidity, which how many times is it going to happen in August? In fact, it was a series, if you age remember, it was a series that Terrence Long, it was that, that day that he made an unbelievable catch to, to win the game in Boston. And uh, I remember, because when I got back, I didn't go to the game that night. And he, he literally, it just happened as me and Casey walked in the hotel room. 
And being there that day, it was an amazing day. And it kind of fooled you, like, wow, this is kind of like being in San Diego, where I grew up. You know, it was sunny and no humidity and gorgeous and kind of fooled you a little bit. So I think that kind of tempted me a little bit to consider the Boston offer, mainly from being out in Cape Cod with Peter that day. You know what? Sometimes the best decisions are when you say no. Thank God you didn't take that job and you stayed here. Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, uh, there's some years that people probably wished I would have taken it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. That, you know, you're talking about changing this job. I mean, listen, and this is the deal. And I've tried never to run away from it. Uh, listen, some people are not going to like what you do. And you're, there's going to be days that, hey, his time is up. The game has passed him by. And then there's times you're the smartest guy in the room. That's the deal. The fact is, is you're neither. And if you sort of kind of keep that balance and realize you're going to make some bad moves, but hopefully you, you make three good moves for every two bad moves you make. And I'd like to think we have. The thing about you is that you understand the pitfalls. You understand the issues, and you're able to work around that. And not everybody really understands all those pitfalls that you have to do deal with. And I think that's one of what's made you so successful. And I think about your relationship with Bob Melvin. Like, this has been the perfect manager for you, yeah. right? You went through a few managers. Why, why has Bob been the guy? Which, by the way, now with all these moves, he's the longest tenured guy with yeah. one team. No, I, you know, when Boach retired, I knew when Boach retired, I, I think I mentioned that to Bob, that he was the longest tenured guy. First of all, listen, you know, me and Bob played against each other. We're the same. I mean, we're only a few months apart in age. I think we genuinely like each other. Uh, we like each other's company. We're both kind of loners, too, in, in the same sense. We... We kind of hang out with uh, hang out with each other just enough not to irritate each other, uh, and again, we're both like that. And uh, and listen, I have a one thing about I tell this about Bob. The, this guy comes into every day. He's such a consistent personality and consistent with his work ethic. I mean, he's been doing this a long time, and he's still in like like clockwork, 11:30, organized, ready to go every single day, from spring training on. And and uh, and again, his relationship with the players relationship with the front office, his relationship with the media. I think he's as good as anybody in the game when it comes to that. And and he's also been a guy who came up in a different era, but been able to transition with all the analytics and do it seamlessly, which is why he's still around. You know, because a lot of guys who started with me and Bob, you know, maybe weren't didn't embrace it like Bob did. And uh, and 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 again, he's you know his staff is great. They're loyal to him. And again, he's one of the best in the business. And uh, we hope he uh, continues to stay here for a long, long time. I, I anticipate that. Yeah, well, in this job, you got to be able to manage up and you got to be able <laughs> to manage down, right? Yeah, listen, that's, uh, I was a kid with Brian Cashman, who's one of the best in the business of the Yankees. Nobody was, I mean, he, I, I was there. I've, I've heard, I was in his office when, we, when he still had hair and I had no gray hair. And uh, I remember we were, we were just starting on the upswing, it was maybe 2000, and I was in his office in Yankee Stadium and, and Mr. Steinbrenner would call. I could hear him yelling at him through the phone. Oh, God. <laughs> but Brian was the master. He knew how to, you know, he's not a, he's not a guy who's just going to give you a line. He's, he's a straight shooter, and he was a straight shooter with his owner. And I think that's why he was successful there, and he continues to be successful. Can you so. imagine looking at that phone every day, getting that phone call, just going, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> he, you know what? He's done all right. In fact, uh, I always take the opportunities. I think Brian has the greatest winning percentage of any general manager in the history of the game, and you never hear anybody talk about him in the Hall of Fame. I think he's got four rings. He's a slam dunk Hall of Famer, and he's, he's smart as a whip, and uh, despite the fact that he's got money, he's still very, very smart and very good at what he does. Well, same for you, and uh, you've always been good to me in my career, and one of the big honors this year was uh, 
to take the, the the shot at leaving regular radio, terrestrial radio, and coming and do this and being a part of this and and being this season our first, uh, you guys have really helped us out, really grow this thing. And once again, you've always been good to me, and I always appreciate it. And good luck in this game, and hopefully we're having a conversation in Houston. I sure hope so, Chris. And, yeah, congratulations on a great first year. I know you guys have gotten some great uh, – um, some accolades, people talking about what's going on. This is pretty unique, and you've had a big job all year, so congratulations on year one getting done. Let's get that And by way. the way, you still you don't have a gray hair in your head. We've been doing this the same amount of time. You know what it is? <laughs> it's a grooming cream that I have. It's working. Then when I put it in, you can kind of see the gray, but it makes my hair darker. It looks great. It's uh, it looks natural. You look like an eight-year-old little boy on his first day of school. <laughs> I'm still trying. Hey, my brother's bald, by the way. It's crazy. You've got full moss going there. Uh, you're I, the thought, I thought that was brill cream. It's, that's not brill cream? No, it's called it's Aveda Grooming Cream. It's the best. It kind of it gets rid of the gray. But once I, you know, once you shower, great. it's gray. I'm gray. Oh, I got oh, a little that's, bit of gray. I'll tell you what. It doesn't look, uh, it looks real. I'm not stressed, my friend. I'm living the dream. There you go. Hey. Good luck tomorrow, and, uh, you know, it's all about winning the World Series, there right? That's what it's all about. Yeah, that's right. A lot of games ahead. And look who's strutting up right now. Friend of the program. Best he, friend of the program. Humanitarian. All-star. A man that will make history potentially tomorrow to be the first guy ever to start a wild-card game and then the next season close out a wild-card game. The All-Star, Liam Hendricks. How are we doing today, guys? How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. How big has it been for these kind of two days just to relax, get a little time off before this big game on Wednesday? It was nice. With the uh, the last few series we had were pretty close, so it was just nice to get a little bit of a break in there, just to kind of relax, recoup, and uh, kind of get that little refresh button going. But, uh, yeah, we need to come back out today, practice hat, let the boys hit a little bit, let us throw a little bit, and then, uh, and then get ready for tomorrow. I think about your journey, and we've talked about how special it's been. Uh, let's go back to last year's wild card game. Obviously, it did not fare the way you guys wanted it to, but what do you think you guys learned? Oh, I mean, cue the video of me giving up a home to judge, but, um, yeah, it, uh, we learned a lot. Obviously, going into a stadium, into a rival stadium, going in there and, uh, and seeing what the crowd is like and just getting a little bit of an exposure to it. Uh, I think it's going to pay dividends this year. Uh, obviously, we've got the home crowd, so it's not as uh, not as – against us as the New York crowd was, which were pretty loud, but uh, I don't think they're afraid to get loud here, so we can uh, hopefully put the fear of God into the Rays over there as well. Yeah, the, the key thing is you learn from your mistakes, and you know, knowing what you went through last year and what this team went through last year, you, know, you flip the script, and you think New York was loud. It is going to be – have you ever been to a Raider game? No, no, I have not. I'm going to tell you, because the way this stadium's built because of Mount Davis – there's nowhere for the the audio to go, right? There's when people are screaming. There's no. It's so loud in here. I mean, with the size of the stadium, they're just lucky they don't have a roof because that thing would crack with the uh, the fans. I mean, we have when we have fifteen thousand fans here, you can hear them screaming and it's loud. So I can only imagine if we get fifty thousand here, how it's going to be. It's going to be it's going to be like a football game. Yeah, and, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, hopefully, and uh, hopefully it's not a football score, but. <laughs> I mean, we'll see how it goes. As long as we come with a win, I don't care what happens. I don't care if it's 20 to 19, as long as we're on the winning end. What did you think of the decision to start Shamanaya? I think it's good. I mean, um, they, uh, it, they've they got a bunch of lefties on their hitter, they, uh, lefties on their lineup. They can hit a little bit. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, we've got fires out in the bullpen with us from what I hear. So we've got, we can go both ways. It's not as if it's uh, set in stone or anything like that. We can go out there and 
we can mix and match, and we got enough guys out there to be able to get us through nine. So that's that's the biggest thing. It's just uh, going out there and using what we got, because if uh, we don't know what's going to happen, anything can happen. I mean, a freak thing could happen, and we just don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to go, but uh, we're just going to go out there and take take care of what we can control and see how it goes. What is the nervous energy like before a game like this? Uh, the good thing about the A's is we don't really have too much nervous energy. I mean, we got a bunch of guys who get hyped a little bit, so we'll, we'll pump the music in the locker room. We'll get a bunch of guys dancing around and doing that. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the nervous energy is, is, is a thing of the past with us. I mean, we've got too many guys in here that are too confident in, in their own abilities. And then Stan going through last year that, I mean, you put too much pressure on yourself. You give, it, you give yourself that, like, kind of uh, immense workload of knowing that you thinking you have to carry the team. It's just not going to end well. So for us, it's going out there and making sure it's another game and making sure we don't put too much effort into it and go out there and do what we need to do. I think about Manaya. Just, he's big and he's funky with that three-quarters delivery, and you can just tell that guys just don't see the ball well off of him. You know, when he has his good stuff, and I always talk about him being on top of the baseball because when you throw three-quarters and you get under it, a lot of bad things are going to happen. But his repeatable mechanics now, since he's come back from injury and he's healthy, Talk about how just it's tough for hitters to see his stuff. Yeah, I mean, he hides the ball extremely well. He's got a lot of deception coming in there, and it's a weird arm angle. You don't see too many guys that are that big get that low with the ball and be able to stay on the top of it. So that's the biggest thing is uh, it's just a little funky. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, um, it's that's all that's half of pitching is, deception. I mean, you get a bunch of guys out here throwing 100, and they get walloped all around the yard. At the end of the day, it's, you need something else in there, and Manaya's got a chain up and a slider that uh, – that they just don't seem to pick up pretty well. So the deception's there, and then he's got off speed to kind of uh, just get him on that back foot a little bit. Isn't that insane that we talk about 100? You know, the norm now is that you see 100 so much. You've touched 100. You see it so much that it, it's not affecting guys the way it used to. Well, the good thing is about throwing hard, it gives you a little bit more room for error. Like, you, you can't just go up there and throw 100 back in, like, back in the day when you had a couple guys who just, there was two guys maybe that threw 100 and they, people weren't expecting it, so you could blow their doors off. But now you need to be able to go back and forth and be able to mix and change. And, and just even if it's just a threat of something off speed, it just changes the complete air bat. Like, uh, my last outing is a good impression of that one. Like, I didn't have any breaking balls that were in the zone, and all of a sudden they were able to take advantage of some mislocation. So, but if I throw anything of that for a strike, we're doing all right. I think about your breaking ball, how it has evolved. I mean, just uh, talk about your breaking ball this year because it's just been absolutely sick. Yeah, it's been good. It's been good, that's for sure. <laughs> it's been good, that's for sure. I mean, I was throwing for strikes. I'm just throwing stuff at Austin Meadows over here. So Austin good. Meadows just got drilled by the glove <laughs> as he was just doing a hit. See, this is the great thing about yeah. our set here. I mean, is I, anything can happen. I as he was doing an interview. I shot him a text the other day after they clinched and said, congratulations, Give him a we'll see you in a little bit. Give him a headset. Don't worry, I'm on, I'm on A's Cast Live, so you can join in if you want. But uh. Austin Meadows <laughs> had a phenomenal year for the Rays joining us here. And, yes, you guys did have a phenomenal year. And I remember when we were down in St. Petersburg last, we talked about, you know what, this would be a uh, – this is probably going to be a good battle for the wild card. We knew it was coming down. And welcome to Oakland, and congratulations on a great season. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's going to be a lot of fun. The atmosphere is going to be electric. And, um, you know, we're excited. The A's are a great team. And, you know, it's going to be a, a dogfight. So we're looking forward to it. And 
going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to need him to teach me these dances. I don't know if you've seen it on Instagram or anything. Their post-game celebration with the old the, the whatever, cha-cha slide. The cha-cha slide. <laughs> Everybody does the that. Every, Come on. <laughs> how, the songs that we dance to, you can't really play on PGTV. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> they did this one, and we have a song that doesn't isn't as kosher. The worst <laughs> thing about the, the A's clubhouse is after the game, right, if they win, you got to do this post-game interview. And you start to realize that the language in the back of the post-game interview, oh, you're like, ah, oh, this is not working for us. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an it's adult language. I mean, uh, we have we'll take a shot of the basketball hoop. Uh, last year was the throwing water at people, just jumping up and down, and then whoever was the man of the game just threw water at them. That's I mean, great. the Royals back in '14 had, uh, if you were the player of the game, who was deemed by Jeremy Guthrie, you just have to turn on the light. There was a lamp and it was a deer. So you have to turn on the deer lamp, and as you turn it on. The song Thunderstruck's playing in the background. Someone spurts you with water and then throws baby powder on you. That's so great. I said, every clubhouse has their own thing. Apparently, this is the Cha Cha Slide, which is uh, real original, that's, guys. That's yeah, a I first, mean, honestly, all year. Is it crazy <laughs> to think? <laughs> think about this. A's won 97, you won 96, Cleveland had a great year. Mm-hmm. They're not even in this game. Right. To win 97 96 only gets you in a wild card game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, definitely crazy, but. Just the talent. I mean, the division that we're in, there's so much talent in there. Um, obviously, with, with the Indians, I think they won 95, 90, 95 games. So for them to be able to go home, I mean, it's just it's crazy the talent yeah, that is in this division. They're the teams um, with the most amount of wins to never they – have, they haven't made the playoffs since they introduced the second wild card game. They really? have the most wins ever. They're not making the team. Yeah, they won they're making the game. They uh, ended up 93-69, and 69, and they're, <laughs> 69. They're, they're going home. So, I mean, unbelievable. Amazing. And, you know – these two organizations, in so many ways, are mirror images of each other. Do you, do you feel that way about the A's when the Rays are looking over in the dugout? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think we stack up against each other pretty good. I mean, the, obviously, with the you know the analytics and stuff like that, and the matchups and everything like that, it's, it's going to be. But there's going to be a lot of things going on tomorrow night. Um, but it's it's going to be fun. We're looking forward to it. You guys wearing the retro uniforms with the lime green socks? <laughs> Yeah, everything's blue. <laughs> everything's blue except for the citrus colored socks. I don't know. <laughs> I go pants down. So, I don't know. so uh, Sean is starting tomorrow. You guys know that now. How do you yes. think that affects your lineup? Um, we'll see. Um, Sean's a great pitcher. Um, you know, obviously, he's got a you know tough left-handed fastball and that slider. So we're looking forward to it. Um, he's a great pitcher. They got a great team, and it's it's going to be a dogfight. But we're looking forward to it. We've I feel like we've kind of been resilient all year with the injuries and stuff we have and now we got guys back healthy it's gonna be it's gonna be fun and what about this guy well i mean this guy's turned into an all-star he's, he's become all right. the closer he's all right we kind of yelled at each other a lot <laughs> at the all-star game i mean it's just, it is what it is i mean you gotta peg, take him down a couple pegs just to keep this guy honest i mean first year in the league all of a sudden he's an all-star and it took me nine years to do it so that's fine yeah you've had a hell of a year by the way thank you thank you i appreciate it's it been a, it's been it's been a lot of fun to yeah, watch you suck. <laughs> but this guy right here, you know, he started the wild card game last year. He could be the first guy you know, ever. I yeah. blew it. You blew it. Yeah, I walked McCutcheon, gave up a two-run home and a judge, and then, then I got three guys in a row out. But by that point, the damage was done. And yeah. I had the flashing lights and a bunch of New York guys yelling at me. I hear you. But he started. He was the opener. He could be the first guy ever in back-to-back. He could be closing this one out. Yeah, uh, that's pretty crazy. First ever. First ever. Wow. I mean, i got to imagine. So who, I mean, who else has done it? Maybe a starter that just did it the next year. I don't know. No, no one's done it. I mean, Severino started back-to-back games. I mean, that, that's kind of cool. But I got a meeting, guys. I'm sorry. I got to run. No problem. Thank you for Thank stopping you guys by. For we me. appreciate yeah, it. And appreciate good luck it. tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> this is what I do. I just drag people into it. No, it's awesome stuff. Yeah. Hey.
congratulations on a good season. <laughs> That's was see. This is since we're not like terrestrial radio. Yeah. Like program director would be flipping out right. Oh my God! There was a pause and what's going on? Uh-huh. We can do anything we want. I mean, until you get yelled at tonight by you. No, I'm the boss, so I'd have to be yelling at him, Cody. Uh, I'm the boss. He works under me. So, uh, I mean, I'm sure he likes that. It's about it's 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 about going out and taking it to these guys tomorrow, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, I mean, the game will be decided in the first couple of innings, uh, just depending on which team comes out. I think it's one of those teams. It's one of those games where it's. uh, Whoever comes out ready to go earlier is going to be uh, is going to come out. But um, the good thing is we've done it before, so we know how to we know how to fight back a little bit. These guys have, have got a lineup that's scrappy. I mean, they got uh, I said it earlier. They got the 2014 Royals lineup where they just they take good at bats, they put the ball in play, and they're not afraid to take their singles where they come, and they'll uh, they'll do what they need to do. So as long as we get a, we get a couple runs on the board early, I think we'll be able to run away with it a little bit. The Roberto Clemente Award. What would that mean to you to win that? Uh, it's a it's a big deal. I mean, um, obviously, I'd hope to be playing in the World Series, and not the only reason I'm being there. But uh, at the end of the day, it's it's uh, it's great to be honored for something that you're doing off the field. But for me, it's it's not the goal at the start of every season. I don't come into it looking like, okay, I want to win the Roberto Clemente Award, so I'm going to do this, this, and this. No, I do this, this, and this, and the the uh, the byproduct is the is the, all the nominations and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, the biggest thing of those nominations is doing for me is raising awareness to the the, uh, the charities I support, and that's the biggest thing is trying to make sure that everybody is aware of what's going on and what I've been able to do, and try and uh, try and gain as much publicity as I can for it. BP is over, my friend. BP is over. I know you got to go. I got to go. Thank you very much. Appreciate it having me, guys. You are the man, and yeah, good luck tomorrow. And uh, as I've been telling everybody, hopefully the next time we speak. We'll be in Houston. Exactly right. Thanks for having us, guys. So today, I'm getting off the elevator in the press box, and the door opens up, and I see the back of Matt Vaskersian's head, and he's talking about how he grew up in this stadium, and his fellow ESPN guys were giving him crap about it, <laughs> and I was just laughing. I just I, I wanted to wait because I knew we'd have you on. <laughs> You're always fighting for the A's, and you know what? We always appreciate that. I, uh, oh, thanks, Chris. I um, I take personal offense at when my hometown park is denigrated in the national media, as it so often is. You know, it's like a scene from Animal House. Every fall, the toilets explode. The, the trees are filled with underwear. You know, it's one of those things. But this is our house, right? This is, this is where I grew up watching A's games, and um, it's old. It's multipurpose. We, know, we get it. We get all yeah. that. But we kind of love it anyway. It's a dump, but it's our dump. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I always like to say. <laughs> exactly. We had Harold Reynolds on. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, when did we have him on? Was it last week we had him on? And we were talking. He's like, don't worry, Matty V's always repping the A's around the studio. <laughs> he says, you always got our back. I do. I try. I mean, uh, look, man, When you, I, I've tried telling people this. Like, when you work in, in an industry and you do it with a little bit of passion, like when you enjoy it, there was a genesis to that. And for me, I wouldn't be working in baseball had I not fallen in love with the A's as a kid growing up here in the East Bay in the, in the 70s. Like, what kid that grew up in the early 70s that liked sports or baseball wouldn't have gravitated to the Finley's A's? Like, that was the choice. The Giants across the Bay didn't exist in my world. In fact, they really don't anymore still to this day. I mean, it's you kind of cut your teeth on a brand, and then if you're lucky enough to work in it like you do, like I do, it's, it's even sweeter. Yeah, we had Barry Zito on because he just wrote the book. And in the book, he talked about 
you know, rooting against the Giants in 2010. And I said, Barry, we have something in common. We were both rooting against him in 2010. <laughs> so we got a good kick out of that, and Barry's, Barry's a really good guy. No, and that's the thing. It's like whenever you see a Bay Area guy do well like yourself, you know, all the different things you've done in your career, and now, you know, to do what you're doing now with ESPN, still do your stuff with, with MLB Network that we love, but to do with your stuff with ESPN and to be the main broadcast, that just has to be just a thrill for you. It is. I mean, and, and it's a it's it's certainly a thrill to be here. If uh, you had told 11-year-old me that 41 years down the road you'll be here broadcasting a playoff game involving the Oakland A's, I would have I signed up for that, and I also wouldn't have believed it. Um so, yeah, it, I mean, look, I could look around this place right now as I have as soon as we walked in, and as much as I don't like Mount Davis, nobody does, and I, you know, long for the days when you could see the hills and Ascension Greek Church and all that out there, and it was such a beautiful place to watch baseball. One of the first things that popped into my mind, I was in the ballpark, game three of the 81 division series against the Yankees, strike year, right, where there was a first-half winner and a second-half winner. A's beat the Royals, the Yankees beat the Brewers, and – Oakland lost the first two games in the Bronx. They come back here. Matt Keogh is awesome. Uh, goes eight, eight-ish, seven-plus, whatever it was. Tom Underwood comes in. Anyway, it's one nothing. Dave Rigetti's unhittable for the Yankees. And it's game three, one nothing Yankees. Ricky Henderson and Dwayne Murphy both got injured in that game. Murph got injured with on a check swing, like did something to his ribs or his lat. So Rick Bassetti comes into the game who later went on to become the mayor of Redding, California, I believe, turns the wrong way on a, uh, on a line drive with runners on in the top of the ninth inning. Two-run score, A's end up losing 3-0. I still contend to this day, 41 years later, that if Rick Bassetti had caught that ball, it's only one nothing going to the bottom of the ninth. The A's could score a run, and maybe they get a little farther in 81 under Billy Martin than they did. But I, I still look out into center field, and that's the first thing I see. <laughs> I, I don't think of Dave Henderson patrolling for a World Series team. I don't think of Johnny Damon or whoever else has played that position. Coco. Coco. I, I, I think of Rick Bassetti turning the wrong way. And the ballpark looks different now than it did then. But I actually, because I remember this only as a fan from sitting up there, top tank behind home plate section, whatever it was, 309 or something, I went back and looked at the film at MLB Network. I actually got the game film pulled. I hadn't seen it since I saw it live with my own eyes back then, it was even worse than I remembered it. I mean, the route was so bad. <laughs> it, was so, it was just, it was awful. And I'm thinking, man, that A's team, for whatever reason, it wasn't that sexy A's team, but that Billy Martin A's team with the five aces that Billy and, and Art Fowler blew apart because there were too many innings, and it was Ricky and, and Murph and Tony Armas launching them right into those stairs. That's another thing I think of as a, as a visual sign marker here. I think of those stairs and Tony Armas just peppering them with baseballs. I, I love this place, man. This is where I grew up. I think about this team, what they went through last year, and a lot of people didn't think they'd win 97 games again. And down in spring training, heck, if you would have said to me, you think they'll win the 97 again? I'd probably, eh, I might even take the under. We knew they were going to be good because they play great defense. They got pop. The starting pitching's been better. But – these games, they've got to win one of these games. It's yeah. time for this franchise to win one of these games, move on to Houston, and they've got a, they've got a puncher's chance in Houston. I agree, and I'm starting to play the speculation game in my mind and, and think um, if they get past Tampa tomorrow, how do they line up in Houston, knowing that you have games one, two, and five in a place that's tough 
and granted the A's played the Astros really competitively in the second half of their season series. But, man, for me, the Astros are the vanguard in Major League Baseball. That's the most complete team, soup to nuts. They're battle-tested. You can't argue with Cole and Verlander. There's no flaw among their position players. Defensively, they're good. They can beat you with a three-run homer. They can steal a base. Man alive, are they good. So what do you do to get past them if they get past the Rays? Maybe you have to get super creative, and maybe tomorrow that means instead of piggybacking, piggybacking Lazardo after Manaya, which everybody kind of assumes, maybe it's Fires after Manaya tomorrow. Maybe you start Lazardo in Houston. Like I'm going through all these mental exercises in my brain because they're going to have to. There's going to have to be a stunt involved. They're going to have to roll the dice on something, and it's going to have to work because to beat a team that is as good as the Astros. You can't just throw nine gloves out there and say, go get them, boys. Give me your best stuff. Can't. Can't beat the Astros that way. Well, something that we've been mentioning on this show, I can tell you right now, go to spring training next year, and my thing is going to be, hey, if you want to win the division, you can't start slow. That's Those days, you've got to win. We're looking now in the American League with, with so many teams tanking. You want to win your division, you're going to have to win probably 103 or more games. Yeah. I mean, that's the crazy – I mean – he used yeah. to won 107 games. I mean, you won 97 <laughs> games and you finished 10 games back. It's crazy. It is crazy. It's a good point because, as the old adage goes, you can't win a pennant in April, but you can lose one there. And, yeah, you're right. Back-to-back years with sluggish starts. They catch fire in late June, whenever it is in mid-June. They always go on the road and come back hot, and then they roll. But, yeah, that's a really good point. You know, play more competitively in April and May, and then you don't have this mountain to climb. You don't have to go 18 and 10 in September or whatever the number was. I think that's pretty close. I'm very inexact when it comes to It's that pretty close. I mean, they, had the, <laughs> they had the best record from June 17th on. Yes. Fact. But, but that – and still you finished 10 games back. So that's something – I mean, because the Astros, they're not going away. No. And they got more guys coming up. They do. Uh, I mean, you know, Jordan Alvarez, who had the Rookie of the Year award, won probably in mid-August. Um, and, the, and the fact that – they stole him from the Dodgers with all their intel and as smart as they are with player development and, and evaluating te- players. They got him for a guy that the Dodgers released because the Dodgers thought it was a different Alvarez that they were trading. That's Who crazy. messed that one up? <laughs> Get your Alvarez's straight because you gave away the rookie of the year. Uh, a guy who's going to be a force for years to come. Yeah. When you call these games – I mean, because obviously it's a national broadcast. You got to be down the middle. How easy is that for you as an A's fan? I mean, it's it's not. <laughs> it's not that easy. Uh, I recall, and I called a. Um, in fact, you and I might have spoken about this at one point, Chris. In uh, 2013, I had an A's Tigers game yeah. in Detroit. Thought I played it down the middle, but. I was so paranoid of coming off like I was partisan to the A side that I probably overrepresented on the Detroit side. And much of the Twitter blowback after the game was, this guy must be from Detroit. You know, he sounds like he's a Tigers homer. Well, I just, I just went too far the other way. In fact, I told David Force that before the game. I'm like, man, I, if I sound like I'm a Rays guy tomorrow, it's just because I'm overcompensating. In life, I overcompensate. I'm short. I'm one of those guys. It's always overcompensating. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a blast, though. You know, the one thing, we, we all hate Mount Davis, but it keeps the noise in the stadium, and it's going to be like a Raider game. We're going to have over 
50,000 people here tomorrow. It's going to be so loud because in 12 and 13, when we took on the Tigers, both Verlander and Cabrera said, oh, by far, loudest stadium I've ever been in. Yeah, I, I remember that discussion. Uh, and I also heard, is it true that they're opening the gates tomorrow at 11 a.m.? Oh, we're going to be a liquored-up crowd. <laughs> oh, man. There's a, that's why I said it's going to be like a Raider game. Okay. I mean, if that's what we're in for, then I I'm duly, have duly noted that. Our, our schedule has changed as a result of that. We'll be here early. In fact, there's no place I'd rather be than here tomorrow all day, so I might very well get here at 10 a.m., have a coffee and a bagel, and, uh, you know, get my lineups down. How much fun is it working at the network? Because we, I mean, because you remember when you first got into this game, you went into a clubhouse, everything was ESPN. Now you walk into every clubhouse, it's MLB Network. And it's, what, 10 years been around? Yeah, 10 years. You've been a part of it for yeah. so long, from the start of it, right? Yeah. You've been around? Yeah. What has it been like for you? It's fun. I mean, it's you're working with a lot of uh, people with the same interests and, and passions for baseball. But having said that, not everybody's interests and passions are the same regarding baseball. We have some guys who are big numbers guys. Brian Kenny, who loves XWOBA and XFIP and UZR and a lot of the advanced metrics. We have X players who, to them, that's a foreign language. We have uh, writers whose ears are very low to the ground. Ken Rosenthal, who, you know, he's short, so his ears are lower to the ground anyway than most people's but we I mean it's all different kind of perspectives but everybody for the most part everybody loves baseball so it's it's pretty cool to go to work and that's what we're talking about it's it's the only place where you can walk into an office in September and people aren't talking about fantasy football first we get there second and third but, but we'll get there eventually but we get to baseball first you know, we're all big fans, and we love watching you. We love Thanks, watching man. you with ESPN or it's MLB Network because we know you have the same uh, loves that we have for the Oakland Athletics Trying. baseball. We're gonna keep. We're going to keep it quiet tomorrow, though. And you know who we got next? The great Sarah Langs, the best researcher in all of well, baseball. Let me tell you something. What you'll hear tomorrow um, is greatly enhanced with Sarah Lang's work and brain. She is a huge help to us up there, huge. She's got to make A-Rod sound smart, right? I mean, let's not go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, it's, but, but it's a start. Hey, by the way, you know what we need to do? We need to. Where's Braden? Is he around anywhere? He'll be around Where tomorrow. Where is that wacko? He'll be around tomorrow. We need to get him on the mound taking a, a photograph with Alex for them both to put up on social media to finally clear the air over this get-off-my-mound business from – how many years ago was that now? Probably nine, eight, nine years ago. 2011? Get I'd off say. of my mound. I mean, I, as an Ace fan, I thought it was great. Alex is still confused by it, by the way. I've, um, I've asked him, have you ever spoken to Dallas Braden about the get off my mound thing? He's like, no, but, I, you know, Alex is a super friendly guy. He'll talk to anybody. We need to bury that hatchet once and for all. I'm not sure Braden would do it. Really? Yeah. He still hacked off about that? Yeah. Dallas, come on, give up the fight, bro. Seriously. Really? Oh, yeah, because a pitch re recently, what game did it recently happen in? Uh, recent. It, was, it was a, wasn't it a Reds game? My, and all of a sudden, Dallas was back on Twitter about, oh, yeah, he feels really strongly about it. That was 2010, it. by the way, the Braden. 2010? Yeah. Gee whiz, man. Yeah. I mean, look, I as a guy, I like both of those guys Maybe a lot. Maybe you can talk him into it. I'm a, I'm going to broker that peace treaty tomorrow. I'm going to be Dan Rather between Anwar, Anwar Sadat and Menachem Begin. 
We're going to make it happen. Can I make a dated 70s uh, geopolitical reference for everybody? Uh, my, my, my millennials just went, what's he talking about? <laughs> God, I'm getting older by the minute. I got to go. Hey, thank you very much. We always appreciate Chris, thanks, it. thanks, man. Thanks for the kind words. And uh, good luck tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it. Tell Braden to call me. Well, you know what? I'll talk to him. Let me see what we can do okay. tomorrow. It could be fun. But then again with you, you might be able to broker right, that I'm deal. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. All right, guys. Have a great Thanks, call. Thanks, Chris. You got it. Well, this is going to be an absolute honor as Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, is going to join us here on A's Cast Live. This is Roxy Bernstein right here. Hey, how are you? I'm Chris Townsend with the A's. Hey, Chris. Nice to see you. Thank you for coming out. And I just got to think for you as as you're the man who runs Major League Baseball, to know that we're going to have a sellout here today for this wild card game. It's going to be loud. It's going to be fun. You got two great teams. I think you have to be proud. Yeah, we're really excited to be here in Oakland. Um, You know, when the news started to uh, make its way east about how big the crowd was going to be, that's very exciting for us. Great for the city, Oakland. Great for the A's. How great of a show will this be for the country to see this tonight when you have a packed stadium, 55,000 people here for a playoff game between two teams that have been very smart about the way they go about things. But how great of a show is this going to be for the baseball world? Well, you know, I think it's a great um, message to our fans all over the country. You know, our teams, no matter what their market size, no matter what their payroll uh, no matter where they are, kind of in the natural cycle that it's always taken place in baseball, they have a chance to compete. And these two teams went out all year long, and boy, did they compete, and they really deserve to be here. And the excitement, like what we saw last night in our nation's capital, it's one game, and for the two teams, it's every pitch, it's every at-bat. The excitement has everybody on the edge. You just have to love that for your sport. Yeah, you know, last night was a great ball game. Uh, Both teams put on a great show. We were actually sitting there in the ballpark saying, wow, you know, they're never going to bring Strasburg in. And, of course, (laughs) there he comes right now. So, you know, it's for all you don't you go home, you know, you don't win, you go home. And uh, it makes for really, really exciting baseball. And you couldn't ask for a better game than we had last night. When this format was adopted, was that the type of thing that Major League Baseball was going for? A situation like that where Steven Strasburg hadn't pitched in relief since his freshman year at San Diego State, and here he comes out of the bullpen last night. Right. I mean, the the one-game playoff, um, there were a variety of things that led to its adoption, but certainly one of them was the idea of just giving a jump start um, to our playoffs, uh, two really exciting games right out of the chute, um, get your fans engaged. You know, the trick for us in the postseason is to drag our great local audiences into a national product, and we feel like these two games really help us with that. You know, the A's have always been cutting edge of baseball, dating all the way back to Philadelphia, and obviously we know with Billy Bean and then there's Moneyball, but I think about what's going on now with John Fisher, Dave Cavill, Chris Giles, is they're doing everything they can to put the best product on the field and also take care of this Coliseum, make it better, and trying to get the new ballpark in 2023. What have you seen with the athletics if you've watched this franchise grow? I can't say enough about the effort that uh, Dave Cavill, John Fisher, the whole A's organization have put into um, resolving the stadium situation here. Um, I think it uh, is a difficult environment to get something done, and, and they've worked really, really hard and showed tremendous commitment to the city of Oakland and to the fans of the A's. 
And while all of that's going on, to have your baseball operations staff, Billy, Dave, um, do the job they've done in terms of giving the fans a great product to watch night in and night out, I, I just can't say enough about the effort. You've been very pro-Oakland as far as what you felt about this community supporting the franchise. Does this reinforce your beliefs when you see the response in, in the crowd tonight? Well, you know, it's, um, it's been a funny week. Um, I, I think that uh, the crowds, the turnout, the support for the team is a huge positive. Uh, reinforces my view that, that, that Oakland is a major league market. Um, on the other hand, I will say some of the developments this week were a little um, disheartening. Um, I met with the mayor, the president of the city council today, and uh, tried to impress upon them the need for concrete action to move the stadium process forward. Um, the fans in Oakland deserve a stadium. I think they want a stadium, and it's time to get it done. Yeah, we, we, we talk each, every two weeks, we have a podcast called The Build, and we'll have Dave Cavill on it. We always joke that he's a uh, he's a two-property guy. That's how he got it done in San Jose, <laughs> and that's how he's trying to get it done here. And the thing that I love about what Dave's trying to do, he's not trying to fix just one part of Oakland. He's trying to fix two parts of Oakland. Yeah, I give him, I, I give, again, John, Dave, the, the entire organization credit for their vision, um, you, you know, to bite off two different um, locations. Uh, it, it is a monumental undertaking. I, I do believe it's what re is required here to get the kind of stadium that the fans deserve. And um, I, I hope that they have success in their effort. And they're trying to get something done. And oddly enough, so is the opponent tonight. They've been in this holding pattern as well. Anything with, with Tampa Bay that's going on as far as a ballpark? Um, well, you know, Tampa, um, again, trying to be creative, um, came to the executive council um, at our June meeting, and they were granted permission to explore a, a, a split-season alternative between Tampa and uh, Montreal. Um, it, is, it would be something different for baseball. But, you know, again, some real positives. Uh, it would open up uh, an international or reopen an international market for us more accurately um, and, you know, provide an opportunity to maintain baseball in Tampa. Um, and I, I think that, again, uh, baseball and both of these owners – um, meaning Tampa and Oakland, have shown great commitment to their communities. Um, we don't like to be relocating all the time, but in today's environment, you have to be creative to get something done. I think about your time in baseball, you've seen a lot, and we've seen how baseball has driven from you had to be a player to be in the front office to now everybody's an Ivy Leaguer or Stanford graduate <laughs> and all the data that we have going. Just talk about the change that you've seen the way these baseball teams operate from when you first got into the game to where you are now. Well, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, when I started, um, we were kind of the only people in the game that were carrying computers around, and I think it – generated some uh, distrust of us, to tell you the truth, in terms of uh, what we were all about. But um, it's really gone the other direction. Um, you know, no matter where uh, people are educated, the game's about analytics right now. Um, uh, we know a lot more about what it takes to produce success on the field. I think that our teams are far more disciplined and efficient in their decision-making. Um, they're making good decisions based on actual data. So I see that as a huge positive. I think the, the flip side of it is that analytics have produced the way, or changed the way the game looks on the field. 
Um, and I, I would say we need to be aggressive about managing that change, make sure that the change occurs in a way that maintains the entertainment value of our product. we got a great product, and we want to make sure we keep it that way. Commissioner Rob Manfred with us here on Ace Cast Live as the wild card <coughs> game tonight. And just pull yourself back from the commissioner. Just as a baseball fan, Rob, when you look at the way the game is right now with all these young stars, you look at, for example, the A's with Matt Chapman, Matt Olson. You look around what Cody Bellinger's doing with the Dodgers. Pete Alonso, a record-setting year for the Mets. Just as a baseball fan, how excited are you for the future of this game with so many young stars excelling right now? I think we've been blessed in recent years uh, with an influx of young talent. It seems like every fall I'm out there during the playoffs talking about this year's crop, a little better than the one before. Um, you know, and I, I think... Everyone in baseball believes that the talent we've seen come into the, the game in the last five or six years, just the best in decades. And that's great for our fans. They're great athletes. Um, they put on a tremendous show night in and night out. And, you know, there's some inherent excitement associated with the new guy. You, we saw it in New York with Pete Alonzo and, and, and what he did. And you guys have seen it here with the young talent, how well they performed. It's a young man's game right now. Um, it really is. Um, you know, the one thing I really like about you is you're, you're, you're not afraid of change. And every game evolves. I mean, football has evolved. I mean, back in the day, there was no forward pass. Right. Think about right here where the Warriors played. If you would have gone back in time and said there was a, a, th a three-point line to guys way back when they would have told you that'll never happen right, right. things need to change well yeah i think the game um needs to evolve like every product every entertainment product every product generally um has to evolve um in in order to address the fact that there's change that occurs naturally we just talked about it a minute ago with all the analytics that change is going on there's change happening and the question is are you going to manage it or not manage it and i i think it's incumbent upon us to manage it, um, be respectful of the history and traditions of the game always, but um, be open to changing the rules in a way that um, makes baseball looks like the, look on the field like the way that our fans want it and are used to seeing it. How important is it for you to make the rounds, to be in D.C. last night, to be here tonight, to be front and center and see the great atmosphere of the playoffs? You know what? Um, I, I am not um, one to overestimate the significance of my presence, but um, you know, I, I do think it's important to get out and see the clubs that qualify for our postseason. Uh, we have the most selective postseason in professional sport. I see it as a sign of respect to those clubs that have played so well to show up, see them play at home, see the excitement. And, you know, every time we're a local business at the end of the day, and every time you go out to a ballpark, at least for me, I learn something that, you know, I can build on as we develop initiatives at the league level to help the clubs. Let me say this, and let's end on this. Thank you from all A's fans, because they may not know, but you're behind the scenes really trying to make this new ballpark happen for, for us as fans. And I think this great franchise with its illustrious history and the championships and the Hall of Famers deserves a new stadium. So I know you're working hard with John and David and Chris, and I, I just want to say thank you because we all want the same thing. Well, you're welcome. I, I do hope, if people don't remember anything else I said while I was here today, the fans here deserve a major league quality facility. They're great fans, and they deserve that kind of ballpark. Enjoy the game, and we appreciate Thanks your time. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. I've been thinking about this. And the commander came up with some nuggets for me that kind of play into what I'm about to say. The A's this season, 197 games, phenomenal. 
but I'm a little over at this time your traditional baseball cliches. I'm kind of over it. The A's this year were 0-4 in front of the four biggest crowds that they played at home. If you add in the Japan games, they're 0-6. So if there are people in the building this year, they didn't play well. Now, they were 17-6 in front of their 23 smallest home crowds. 4-0 in front of their four absolute smallest crowds. So when Matt Chapman says to me, like last year, why don't people show up? You can turn around to the A's. Well, why don't you show up when they do show up? And it got me thinking. And last night, I didn't sleep real well. I'm going to be real honest with you. It was an emotional postgame show. I took every single – if you called, you got on last night. I think we went for over two hours. And I got home, and I just – I turned on MLB Network, and then I had to turn it off because I couldn't watch it anymore. And I just kept thinking, why? Why? In business, it doesn't matter what business you're in. If you're successful, if you fail, you always have to self-diagnose. Why? Why are we successful? Why did we win 97 games? Why do we always lose these wild card games? Why do we always lose these winner-take-all games? Why? And Billy Bean was trending last night on Twitter, and of course everybody... You know, they go after him, and that's just the price of fame. Billy doesn't play. Did, 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 did Billy Bean have an at-bat yesterday? Did Billy Bean or David Forrest, were they on the mound? Were they playing defense? It's the players, folks. It's the players. And let me tell you, they've had guys who are MVPs. They've had guys who are Cy Youngs. They have guys who, have, who, who are all-stars who have played in this streak of nine straight winner-take-all losses. Great, great players. So it's not like, oh, the, what they do doesn't work. I mean, you're talking about great players. You guys are the best in the league. Just don't get it done. So why? I don't know if I'm emotional I don't know if this is correct. No one has given me a theory. Now, you can say unlucky, but here's the deal. When we had Jason Giambi on, and I remember this back in the day. So when Giambi was starring for the A's, and they they had those great runs and they had those great teams, once again, could never get over the hump. I was actually working at KMBR, but I would always be over covering the A's. And I remember, and it really hit me last night, because we re- 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 we recently had Jason Giambi on. And their fun thing was always, remember they had the remote control cars and all that kind of stuff, and 
Giambi's always, it's like a frat house in here. And the reality is, the A's clubhouse, for basically 20 years, has been a really fun place. Other than when you had Danny Valencia and Billy Butler. Then, it was cancer. And they had to get rid of those guys. But for the most part, it's been a great clubhouse. They got the Nerf hoop. They're wearing robes. You know, recently, Josh Reddick, they had robes too, and they had the championship belt, and he's playing Spider-Man, and right? And we all love that because it's, it's, it's funny. They're characters. They're, they're, they're loose. You know, and, 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 and how many times do we hear, oh, they're resilient. Oh, these guys are resilient. These guys, they don't wear losses. All that is great during the regular season. But you know what this frat house, resilient group, because it's been different managers, it's been different coaches, and it's been different players. You know where they're not resilient? When it really matters. And that's what's sticking with me right now. This is what's sticking with me. Oh, they're resilient. Look, they got beat up in Houston, and then they win the next week. Great. Where's that in the postseason? I've never seen resiliency out of this group in the last 20 years. Once again, different players, different manager, different coaches. Let me tell you something. Whether you like this or not, Derek Jeter was not playing Nerf hoop after games. Derek Jeter wasn't playing DJ after the games. I hate the Yankees, but I respect the Yankees. You know what the Yankees are? Professional. Now, baseball has changed. Everybody's got dances, and everybody's got all these different things going on. But I can't. I I think about the guys who win the most. Who wins the most? Well, basically, since the mid-90s, no one's won more than the Yankees. No one's been in the postseason more. No one's won more World Series. They're not wearing robes. They're not. Derek Jeter's not walking around in a Speedo with a championship WWE belt. Did I miss something? Right? As much as I, I mean, seeing A-Rod, I mean, whenever I see A-Rod, I just kind of cringe. Hey, guy won a World Series. Guy's one of the greatest players of all time. These guys were wearing, I mean, you know how much their suits are? These guys are wearing specially made Italian suits. Their clothes are all made from them. They look dapper. They look professional. It's the big leagues. They win when it matters. I, so I, I don't know what the change is. I don't, I'm just telling you, the frat house loosey-goosey is great, but it hasn't performed in the postseason. We make excuses all the time. It it it, it drives me nuts. It really it, it drives me nuts. Oh, Townsend is you know, you're gonna lose some, and that's baseball, and that's this, and that. I've been hearing this for years. I need you to be resilient in the postseason. I need I need toughness. You basically went into a fight yesterday, and you were knocked out in the first round. That's two straight wild card games. You've done nothing. 
You didn't look yourself. You didn't play well. That's real. And we can sit there and say, well, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's the one and done. It's unlucky. Unlucky? What's unlucky about getting beat two straight years by two teams that came out and took it to you? Yankees weren't lucky last year. Yandy Diaz stepped up to the plate and went oppo taco first at bat and then did it again. They hit four home runs last night. They beat you at your game. Like the people last night calling in the postgame show. Oh, they don't play small ball. Raise and play small ball. Raise it four home runs. Ball go far, team goes far. I just, this is the only thing that I can get my head around. Because it's not a small sample size. This has been going on since 2000. The biggest games, you don't play well. The other teams do. I'll go down the list. 2000, ALDS. These are winner, winner take all. You either win or you lose. You win, you move on. You lose, you're done. This is not a small sample size, folks. 2000 ALDS, lost to the Yankees. 2001 ALDS, lost to the Yankees. 2002 ALDS, lost to Minnesota. 2003 ALDS, lost to Boston. 2012 ALDS, lost to Detroit. 2013 ALDS, lost to Detroit. 2014 wildcard, lost at Kansas City. 2018 wildcard, lost at New York. 2019 wildcard, at home, lost to the Rays. Maybe you know. I don't know, 510-897-1322. That's our text line. Don't call. No one's at the studio. You can text us, 510-897-1322. So 2000 was a long time ago. Where were you in 2000? I wasn't even married yet. That's how long ago this was. This has been going on since 2000. Basically, about 20 years. And the only thing that I can think of that you can tie it all together, because I can't, I can't put my finger on, I'm talking about people in uniform. They've built the teams to win. See, that's, that's the crazy thing. They've built these teams, and they get to the postseason, and they win. And it's not the, the old... Well, it's bean stuff. It doesn't work. What do you mean? It, it, they just don't perform. That's the crazy thing. Bad things happen. Guys, guys don't, guys just don't, I, I, it's hard to put your finger on it. Guys just don't rise to the occasion. But you can't say the teams aren't good. My God. Let's go over the records of those teams. So the 2000 team, that couldn't win it. They were 91 and 70. The 2001 team, they won 102 games. 
the 2002 game. They won 103. The 2003 team, they won 96. 2012 team won 94. 2013 team won 96. 2014 team, they won 88. Not that great second half wasn't, but they at least won 88. And then back-to-back years, you've won 97. You can't tell me there's not talent there. There were plenty of guys that won awards, won major awards. Played in all-star games. There's something about the toughness in the DNA of this organization for essentially the last 20 years that the mindset just isn't there to win the you got to be a killer. They've had talent, the records show that. But they don't have the killer mentality. And I don't know how you install that. There's a reason why the New England Patriots are the New England Patriots. And you know what some people have said? You know, why is Rob Gronkowski not playing anymore? Well, because it's not fun. It's not fun. Gronk wants everything to be fun. Well, it's not fun. But you know what they do? They go to Super Bowls every year. It's not fun. Bill Belichick isn't playing Nerf hoop. What did he coin? No days off. Tom Brady? Tom Brady's not fun. Tom Brady's a workaholic. Tom Brady doesn't drink. Tom Brady, you know, he's got his supermodel wife, has his kids, and there you go. It's all about football for him. He's got no life. He's no fun. Having fun's great, but it's not translating to the ultimate goal, which is to win the World Series. This is going to be something that I, I'm, I'm going to let this all breathe. You know, we're going we're gonna to have David on, and we're going to praise the team. Later on this offseason, it's going to be something that, you know, hopefully I'll talk to Bob Melvin about. They let these guys be themselves. Matt Chapman's the DJ. Matt Chapman hasn't hit. Matt Chapman hasn't hit in a wild card game. They finished the season, the last eight games, two for 49 with runners in scoring position. It's pretty hard. Bring up last year's schedule, Cody, and see how they finished. It's pretty hard to say that this was a clean slate because your offense went cold in the last week of the season, and it translated. The only run you scored in a winner-take-all game was because of an error. Think about this, how bad the offense is. And I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just trying, once again, why? We're trying to figure out why the day after. I will say this. I'm very excited about next season. This team's loaded. They have so much pitching, it's unbelievable. I mean, it. you're talking Fires. You're talking Frankie Montas. You're talking about Lazardo. You're talking about Puck. You're talking about Manaya. You're talking about Bassett. That's six right there. And Bassett's out of options. I like Bassett. If you listen to this program, I like Bassett. Then you got all these other guys. 
right? Mengden, Blackburn, Caprellian, Holmes, Gossett, Cotton. I mean, there's a ton of them. They're going to be loaded at the big league level and then the manager of the greatest offense of all time, Fran Reardon, the Las Vegas Aviators. They're going to be loaded in AAA. I'm excited. I, I think this is going to be a very fast offseason. We're going to be doing A's cast every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 1 to 4. We're going to be covering this team. Like I say, we cover it like a Snuggie. And we'll do all baseball. Winter meetings, up to spring training. We're going to be doing it. But I think that the offseason will be so fast before you know it, we're going to be in Arizona. We're going to get through the football season, get through Christmas, and boom, we're going to be at Arizona. Because you're going to be excited. You're hurt now. All right, we're you know the five stages of depression. We're in anger right now. I think we're past denial. You can't deny when you lose these games. You're past denial. I think we're in anger. But before you know it, what are the steps again? Wait a minute. It's uh, denial, anger, bargaining. I'm not a bargaining. I think I'm in anger. What do you think, Cody? You think I'm in anger? Uh, sounds like it. You're pretty uh, pretty amped up right now. <laughs> Am I scaring you? No, you're fine. I've I've dealt with, I've my dad yells a lot, so I'm, and he's always excited about things. So, all right. So I'm in anger. Next is bargaining. Struggling to find the meaning. Reaching out to others. Telling one story. I'm not there. Depression. Overwhelmed. Helplessness. Hostility and fight. I might be in anger and depression. And then acceptance. And that's where we are going to get. Exploring options, new plan, and a place of moving on. We will get there. Folks, the team's going to be loaded. They've got pitching. They've got offense. They hit bombs. Bottom line. And you're going to hear me. This this is going to get old. But you're going to hear me say this for the next, let's see, October, November, December, January, February, March. For the next six months, you're going to hear me say, you have to play the full season. If you don't want to be in these one-game wild cards, you have to play the full season. Houston's not going to suck. Houston's going to win 100 games again. They've won 100 games three straight years. You don't think they're – if you're going to win this division, you're going to have to win – over a hundred games. Here's Bob Melvin after the game. You know we've won a lot of games the last couple of years. Uh, what we need to do probably is is win the division if we want to play a, a longer series. You know we're in a tough division as it is, but uh, proud of what they did this year. And we just got beaten one game, and you know everybody's in there's pretty upset about it. I want them angry. I want them pissed off. I want them to look in the mirror and go, why? Why? Why are we at home? Why didn't we hit the last week? And stop the damn excuses. Oh, it's a long season. Oh, you're going to lose. You're not going to win every single game. Well, you know what? Houston won 107 games. It felt like they won every game. Didn't it? Every night I looked up. The A's won 97 games, and they were 10 games back. Well, they're not, they're, they're not blowing 30 saves. 
You know, they're going out, and I don't know what their clubhouse is like. Maybe we get, maybe we got to get Blummer on. Maybe we got to get our guy Jeff Blum, and, and uh, we can preview the series. We'll get Blummer on and say, what is their club? You know what? You need, you need to look at who's winning, and that's what you do in life, right? That's why they say everything's a copycat league. You want to beat the Golden State Warriors? Well, uh, if you're not hitting threes, you're not going to be. If you're throwing it down, shooting twos, you're not going to beat the Golden State Warriors. You need to play hard-nosed defense. You need to knock them around, but you're going to need to score a lot of points. You look at other people who are successful, and you say, what are they doing? Right? What do the Astros do? Do the Astros have, I mean, because if the Astros play Nerf hoop, if the Astros are wearing robes, and the Astros have a DJ, and the Astros are doing all that, okay, then keep doing this. But if the Astros are like, what do they do? Jeff Blum won a World Series with the White Sox. What did they do? You know, Bob Melvin won a World Series with Bob Brenly in Arizona. And I look at the characters on that team. Randy Johnson playing Nerf hoop. You think Kurt Schilling was a big big, uh, bubble of fun? Uh, I can tell you right now, having, uh, having some time to get to know Matt Williams. Matt Williams is not a trickster. I'm telling you, I don't think Matt Williams is setting your foot on fire. I guarantee you Matt Williams isn't dressing up as Spider-Man and throwing throwing a pie in your face. Matt Williams is a hard-nosed dude. That's who wins in this game, folks. Tough guys. Mentally tough men win championships. That's the deal. It's a commitment. It's every day, all day. It's 365. You want to be a champion? I'm telling you, I've covered. I've covered the Warriors to championships. I've been in the NFL for years. I was around that 49ers run at the end. 49ers were on one of the greatest runs in the history of the game. 16 straight years the 49ers won 10 games or more. 10 games or more. Only one year they didn't make the postseason. Only one. And they still won 10 games and make the postseason. They made the postseason 15 out of 16 years. And you know who was the hardest working human being I've ever seen in the NFL? It's Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice would win the Super Bowl and the next day was working out. He was seen the next week. At, at the facility, running patterns, running that hill, wherever that damn hill is on the peninsula. Jerry Rice took no days off. Jerry Rice was no joke. Jerry Rice is arguably the greatest football player who has ever lived because of his toughness, because of his mentality. It was about winning. It was about being the best. He was insecure if he didn't work out. I've had him out. I did a weekly show with him. We did a weekly show with him for an entire season. Got to know him. We went out to lunch, hung out. Jerry Rice is all about work. 
Jerry Rice wasn't worried about who was DJing. Jerry Rice wasn't worried about the loudspeakers for BP. Make it louder. We want it louder. That wasn't Jerry Rice. You think Jerry Rice before a game was yelling up at the loudspeakers, turn it up, turn it up. You think Jerry Rice was playing Nerf hoop? I'm just saying. You want to look at the greats and the great winners of all time? You think Bob Gibson was a lot of fun to be around? I get having a good time. I get it. But there's something about the last 20 years that they got great teams, they got great talent, and they're having a lot of fun. But when the most crucial times, when you need to be at your best, where you need to be mentally and physically better than the other guy, you haven't been. And that's the why. Why? And that's the only thing I put my finger on. It's the only thing I, I it's the only thing I can come up with. As I'm in as in the five steps of depression, I'm in anger. It says frustration, irritation, and anxiety. Bingo, that's where I am. And I'm trying to figure it out. I've just talked for a half hour straight, didn't even take a break. And i I'm looking at it going, Jesus. I can talk about this all day because I've been thinking about it all night. I want to win a championship. I want to win. I had a bag packed for Houston. I'll tell you a little something. I'm supposed to be in London right now with the Raiders. I was going to be in Europe for a full week with nothing to do. I was going to go over to Paris. And then from Paris, I was going to go to Amsterdam. It was a dream European vacation. Me and one of the guys with the Raiders, we're going to pal around Europe. But nope, the A's are my number one priority. So I got on a plane, flew back here, fired, and we lost. And now I'm not going. My dream dream European vacation. Bye-bye. I'm tired of the skeptics. I'm tired of people saying, oh, your stuff doesn't work. Like, Like, shut up. You have no idea what you're talking about. Everybody's doing the same thing now. Dave, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletics. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, man, it's my pleasure. Pleasure to be on. You know, we always talk about how great the 1989 team was, but when you joined the Blue Jays and won the World Series with the Blue Jays, those were great teams that they had up there north of the border. You know what we we had a we had a nice we had a nice group of group of players. Um, you know, starting with Robbie Alomar, we had out Robbie Alomar. You've got Paul Molitor and John Olerud. And in that year, as quiet as it's kept, those three guys were one, two, and three in the batting title in the American League. And then, um, in my opinion, you don't get a better guy to produce runs and drive in runs than Joe Carter. Um, Shoot, Devon White was our center fielder, could track down anything that was hit in the air. Um, I mean, we just had a really nice team. The rotation was led by Jack Morris. It was, it was really a nice team that was well put together. We were managed well by Cito Gaston. Um, you know, we, 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 we really had a, a nice group of guys and a great group, great team. Yeah, no doubt about it. Obviously... You know, it's been a tough day because the expectations were that we'd be on a flight at noon today to go to Houston and get ready for the ALDS. 
What did you see last night from the Oakland Athletics as they've now lost three straight wild card games? Well, what I was hoping is that the offense would come alive. You know, the offense had been kind of flat for, you know, going on on a week. And so I really wasn't encouraged by the offense before the playoffs started. And then, you know, I, I was hoping that, that, you know, being in that, in that first game, and knowing these players the way I, I the way I do, and seeing them play the way I have through the course of the year, I thought that there would just there would be something that would spark a fire, and then the offense would come alive. So the offense didn't play very well, and then Shamania wasn't the pitcher that he had been for the last month, and so you know it was a recipe for disaster, which is what happened yesterday. Did you like the idea of Manaya over fires? I did. I was all into Manaya over fires. I mean, let's let's face it. If Sean Manaya doesn't get hurt a year ago, he's the ace of the staff anyway, and he had pitched his way into that position uh, before he suffered the injury. But the injury gave him, you know, the injury set him back. Um, and then he came back this year. His first start was against the New York Yankees, and he was absolutely unbelievable against the Yankees in his first start this year. And then he continued to have four more tremendous starts after that. And so no, I was all into Sean Manaya. I thought he was a good equalizer for the left-handed hitting um, power that uh, that Tampa had. And I thought that, you know, if he was effective with his changeup and his breaking ball, which is the key to his success, I, I felt that he would beat those guys. You know, I've been trying to figure this out all day long. The A's have lost nine straight winner-take-all games. You guys have been talking about it. They lost six straight at home. What do you think? It's the DNA is different of every team. We're talking about different managers, different coaches, different players. Why do you think since 2000, what is it? Why have they struggled in the in, in this one game where you got to win to move on? Well, I mean, if we could determine that, then we we, we – if we could determine why that happens, we'd be the recipe for every team in baseball and how you get past that one or one, one winner-take-all game. But there is no real science to it. I mean, everything has to, has, has to work properly. Everything has to play properly. Like I said, you know, Shaman and I didn't pitch well. The offense wasn't there. Last year, we, we, we went with the, with the opener. Um, that wasn't the right recipe for it. So, I mean, with each team, it's going to be something different. You'd have to look over each scenario and see what took place. But the key to winning is, is getting on top of the guy that's across from you, the pitcher that's on the other side of you. If you can make some impact early and make some noise early against that starting pitcher, and then your, your, your pitcher or your defense can shut the other team down, then you win. Um, and that's just not happened for the A's, unfortunately. Yeah, we had Shooty Babbitt on earlier, and he's been scouting the Houston Astros. And I asked him, what has he been seeing? And he says, they bully people. That's what the Astros do. They bully you around. And that's the one thing the A's haven't been able to do against their opponents. You know, it's just like I said, it's, it's, it's an unfortunate situation uh, that they are in. Um, that they've not been able to, to take that next step. Um, I have to say that I'm encouraged by what could possibly be their rotation for the upcoming year. 
I mean, you're going to look at three lefties in that rotation with Manaya, Lasardo, and Puck. Um, Frankie Montas came back later in this month and threw a, a superb game um, and was having a per superb season before his suspension. And then you got Mike Fire. So the rotation next year is going to be much, much better than it was this year. Um, and I look for them to challenge the Houston Astros coming into next year's season. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I also think down in AAA, they're going to have a lot of great options. I think Chris Bassett, uh, he's out of options. You're going to have to figure out what to do with him. But you're going to have a ton of arms down there at AAA too. And I think this is really going to be a short off season because once we get over this, Dave, Everything you just said, plus all the firepower and the younger guys being a little little bit older, a little bit more seasoned, I, I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of confidence going into spring training. And for the first time, people are not going to be saying, well, it's an aberration. They got lucky. You don't get lucky winning 97 games back-to-back -back years. No, you don't. Uh, last year when nobody saw them coming, um, you might say that there was a little luck involved, but if you watched them play, you knew that there was a whole lot of talent involved as well. Um, if there was a play on luck last year, it would have been the fact that Cahill, Edwin Jackson, um, that those guys pitched well, uh, and Anderson, that they pitched the way that they did last year. But this year, you know, the A's came into the season with targets on their back. They weren't a surprise to anybody in the league. Everybody knew who they were, and they knew that this team was an aggressive young team that went out and they played the, well game, played the game well and they were managed well. So this year there was no luck involved. Um, if anything, it, it was unfortunate and no luck um, in that game yesterday. Have you ever seen a player turn his career around the way Marcus Simeon has? Um. Uh, I haven't seen a, an older player turn his career around, but you know Marcus Simeon came into the big leagues out of Cal, out of the Cal Berkeley uh, program, uh, which you know they they produced some major leaguers, um, and then coming to the big leagues and having an opportunity to play, um, he worked on his defense, and I believe he comes into each season with an objective and goal that he wants to accomplish um, for the year. And when you do that, you become a better player. He's a smart player. He understands who he is. As you get older and you and you and you had at bats in this game, you start to understand what you need to do to accomplish um, becoming the type of player that Marcus has become. And so I'm not surprised at all that he's 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 risen to the levels that he has. Um, and this year. You know, I think he's got he's got a bit of a challenge to win that MVP, um, but I think that he is at least going to be mentioning it, and he's going to be better. He's going to get even better because he works at his game and he wants to be better. So you guys lose the World Series in 1988, and then you made it your mission. You were not losing in 1989. There was no way anybody was going to stop you guys from getting a ring. So if you could give advice to this A's team for the offseason about finishing and losing this game and getting ready for next year, because next year it's time to make hay in the postseason, what advice would you give these guys? Well, my advice would be, you know, to do exactly what they've been doing. I mean, keep maturing because this team is a younger team than our teams were. I mean, 88, 89, and 90. This is a younger team. 
my advice would be to continue to mature, to continue to get better. But even more importantly, don't forget these experiences. Now, it's been back-to-back years for them, and I think that these experiences are going to help them in growth. Uh, I would just tell them to remember these experiences because these are going to be the experiences that get them over the hump and will make them eventually champions. Let's end on this. As an Oakland kid who starred for the Oakland A's and recently put into the A's Hall of Fame, how much fun are you having personally being back and being a part of this organization? It's been um, unbelievably exciting, you know, in, in different ways. You know, I've, I've had an opportunity to see the growth in the organization, and I've been to, been able to go to Instructional League and spend a week with some of the younger players. Um, during the course of the year, I had a chance to visit some of their minor league affiliates and see some of the talent that they have um, in their minor leagues. And then in spring training, I get an opportunity to spend a week with the pitchers and catchers and talk to these guys. And so for me, um, this is a this is a dream come true because if you can't play the game, you want to be around the game. And I'm I'm having the opportunity both from the broadcasters booth to be involved, but even more importantly to be inside the clubhouse. And and there's no better there's no better experience um, when you can't get out and actually compete. Dave, it's always an honor to have you on the program. We look forward to talk to you in the off season. Be well, enjoy these playoffs, and we'll talk to you soon. You guys take care, and thanks for having me on. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.